Hey everybody, Russell here. Thank you so much for listening to D&D&D, and thank you especially for listening to these short story episodes. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who checks these out, although when I was preparing this week's, I realized we have not heard from Tim in eight months. So, uh, <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea to put out the entire story so far, the first five uh, chapters today, and then the new chapter uh, on Friday, uh, so that everybody gets a chance to kind of refresh where things are at with the Tim story. Uh, and we will get the next chapter uh, later this week. Uh, but today is going to be the first five chapters all strung together, uh, one after another, and then we will get chapter six later this week. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thank you to everybody who supports us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash dndndpod. We have a new Patreon-exclusive t-shirt design, finally available from Beth. Uh, it's really fun. It is a natural ope, uh, the, the Midwestern expression ope, uh, for surprise and, um, well, we use it for a lot of things. Uh, but in this case, it's surprise, uh, and it is a, a natural one d20 dice with a script ope uh and uh it's a lot of fun especially for those of us uh who are in on that particular uh regional joke uh and if not uh it's something that's very true to uh those of us on the podcast um all of us being michiganders as we are uh, so check that out. Uh, we will have more patron-exclusive t-shirts available for those patrons uh, by the end of the year. There are three more due. So if you are a patron at that level, you will get the shirts that you are owed once we have the designs complete from Beth. There are con appearances coming up for Beth and James and Chelsea at uh, different cons and different uh, times later this year. I don't know if those schedules are completely set yet, uh, but I do know that James and Chelsea will be at Silver Scream Con uh, the second weekend of September. That's the 9th uh, and uh, 10th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. They will be at Silver Scream Con um, over on the East Coast, so go and check them out there if you are planning to attend, or if you want to uh, attend after checking that out, do so. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, a very cool con. So go and check that out if you are interested in the horror side of things or if you want to go say hi to James and Chelsea. Uh, and I will have uh, Beth's con schedule um, on further announcements or you can check out uh, radshop.cool for more info on all things Beth. Thank you again for uh, listening to these stories. Uh, this is a little bit of an experiment for me, uh, getting back into fiction writing like this for the first time really since college. Uh, these short stories, the Ryleth ones first, and now the Tim ones. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. I hope you are enjoying them. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this refresh and listening to these all together. Uh, a, fun, uh, a fun side game is how my voices <laughs> for the characters change, uh, recording and recording. But um, nonetheless, uh, I hope you enjoyed the stories and we will have the next chapter later this week uh, after everybody gets a chance to refresh themselves on an eight-month-old story. Um, if you were a fan of the Ryla stories, I will be returning to those as well when the main story um, necessitates that. So, uh, which, which, may be, which may be sooner than later. We will see. Uh, but we will be back to regular uh, story episodes with the team next week. 
Um, and then we will have uh, more Tim throughout the rest of the fall and, and end of the summer um, into, the, into the winter this year uh, as his story continues to wind its way into the main one. We'll see how that happens, if it ultimately does. All right, well, that's it for me. We are going to now listen to chapters one through five of The Tale of Tim. Uh, there will be an ad break uh, somewhere in the middle, so uh, stay tuned for that, please and thank you. And then we'll be back with the team next Wednesday, the 16th. So thank you again for listening. Uh, enjoy the stories and do what's fun. Tim Feathers raised the bow aiming toward the portal, wind rushing past his ears with such force he could scarcely hear what Fletch was saying. Or maybe he just didn't want to believe it. Was this really the only way to close the gap? What was so important about that empty room beyond the portal? Don't point it at me, I'm going to stand over here. You're going to pull it back, and when you release it, I'm going to catch that electric arrow out of midair. Madness, thought Tim. Sheer madness. But maybe it takes a little madness to be a hero. He filed the thought away with all the other lessons from this bizarre situation. Less than an hour ago, he had been munching a stale biscuit aboard the trader ship Dorlea en route to the Oyakoto Islands. There, on its haunted shores, he hoped to make a name for himself as a traveling sword for hire and aspiring gumshoe. Now he stood upon a cloud, holding a magic bow, as a dragon and a god battled above him. All right, sir, I'll try. Please don't be mad at me if I hurt to kill you. Tim, I think you got this. Tim was a long, lanky lad, but Fletch stood a full hand taller still. The elf was older, too, perhaps by centuries, and had seen who knows how many battles. His armor was streaked with blood from at least three different creatures and some of his own. Yet when Tim looked into Fletch's face, he didn't see fear or worry. No, Fletch was enjoying this. All right, it's an adventure. There you go, Tim. All right. Aim. Tim drew the bow, but this magnificent weapon was unlike any mere longbow. As Tim reached for the bowstring, he found nothing but air, until suddenly a bolt of electricity zapped from one end of the bow to the other. Tim couldn't help but recoil at first, but the slightest nod of encouragement from Fletch gave him the strength to draw the bow. As he did, an arrow of brilliant, vibrating electricity materialized. Tim felt a tingling heat from the arrow shaft as it rested upon his bow hand that grew into a blinding burning within a heartbeat. He couldn't hold it, but Fletch hadn't yet given the signal. Hold! He willed as hard as he could, but the power of the bow was too great and he let go. The arrow, surging with the power of a lightning bolt, erupted from the electric string in a blink, but Fletch's hand was just as fast and his gloved fingers caught the shaft the moment it left the bow. Oh shit, Fletch said, as he took off toward the portal, clinging to the magic electric arrow. From Tim's perspective, precisely one hour, seven minutes, and twenty-four seconds before zipping Fletch into a portal... He sat aboard the mess of the Dorlea, surrounded by the high seas, tales of ghosts and curses, and the heroes of Night's Pass, Zabbis Kinlan, Flack Tansen, Juno Greenpoint, Marjorie Sticks, and of course Fletch Stormtail. Tim saw a bright future for himself in his new life. He took a bite of biscuit as Flack started a shanty and smiled. But before he could swallow, there was a loud pop and a blinding flash of light. When the flash subsided, Tim was tumbling through a purple-hued tunnel of light. Unable to make any sense of the situation, he was just grateful he wasn't falling, as Tim was terribly afraid of heights, and falling down an endless tunnel of mystery light sounded to him like a terrible nightmare. But if this wasn't a nightmare, what was happening? Tim tumbled end over end. 
His awkward limbs flailed wildly. It took him great effort to grab and hold onto his sword, standard-issue Talon infantry short sword gifted to him by his old boss, Horsemaster Jace, when he left Raven's Crest. Tim grabbed the hilt and tried to steady himself as best he could as he moved through space. He spun for so long he almost grew bored. After five minutes, he stopped screaming. After ten, he tried to look around to figure out what exactly was going on. Think of Maldrin, he reminded himself. Look for clues. But there was nothing rational about what he saw when he opened his eyes. The strobing purple and black light of the tunnel nearly blinded him. But when his eyes adjusted, he would have sworn there was a giant black goat running alongside him. Then, with no warning, he was no longer in the tunnel, and no longer aboard the Dorlea. He was standing atop the back of a gargantuan silver dragon, the sorcerer Zabbos Kinlan to his right, and across the dragon's back the evil traitor Lady Morgan Ben Batten of Castro Manor. Battle was afoot, and his heroes needed help. He drew his sword and charged the treasonous witch. Tim, however, was no hero. Not yet, anyway. And his foolhardy bravery was rewarded with the strangest few minutes of his young life. He was flung from the dragon back, leapt across floating giant flowers, flew through the sky on bolts of lightning, and talked to what Tim could only describe as a god. He saved the hero Fletch Stormtail from a hideous tentacled cat and used that same hero's magic bow to propel him into a yawning portal to what looked to be a cavernous, dark void. After landing through the portal, Fletch quickly scanned his surroundings and turned back to Tim. Okay, he's been here before. Tim started to understand the urgency of getting into this particular portal. This place is important somehow, and Fletch trusted Tim to help him get there. So far, the archer has treated him as a true companion. Tim, for the first time, felt the battlefield brotherhood that he heard the soldiers speak of when they returned their horses to the stables before heading to the pubs. Tim finally felt like he was part of something. Maybe not a member of the team yet, but a true ally. They were bonded by circumstance and also gross green cat blood. Overcome with a sense of camaraderie and pride after their bonkers idea worked, Tim stepped forward to follow his teammate, but his feet stopped his mind from making a grave mistake. The last few minutes in the sky battle have come with their share of falls, but for each, Tim had Fletch with him. Now they were separated by the shimmering threshold of the portal, and if Tim were to fall alone... Inching forward, Tim risked a glance down over the edge of the cloud and saw... nothing. No ground, no mountain peaks, no birds even. Just endless sky. Tim swallowed hard and gripped the bow tightly. The bow, he thought. Then the bow, he screamed. But the words were swallowed by an incredible clash of thunder. Behind him, the battle with Lady Balbotten raged. Light from a thousand worlds shone through a thousand portals, shimmering off the silver scales of the dragon. Nearer, a god flew through the endless sky, popping portals like a child pops a soap bubble. The bow! Fletch finally turned back from the void beyond the portal and met Tim's gaze. With a questioning shrug, Tim pointed to the bow still gripped in his left hand. He could feel the great weapon's magic surging through it with a heat and fury like a midsummer storm. With every flash of lightning from the battle behind and above them, the bow twitched with an electric life. This was the weapon of a hero. This was the weapon of wood elves from the forest deep in the Moonshadow Valley, forged hundreds of years before his great-grandfather was born, probably. His own standard-issue Talon infantry short sword hung at his belt with no stories to tell at least none that he knew. Holding the bow made him feel powerful. He was honored he got to wield such a legend for a short time. Toss it down here, bud! 
for the gap between cloud and portal spanned thirty yards if it was a foot, and nothing below but infinity. Nonetheless, Fletch stretched out his hand, and an encouraging grin crept across his copper face. At that moment, Tim knew that Fletch believed in him. He gave Tim the bow because he earned Fletch's trust and fought a horrid beast side by side, protecting him when he was wounded. Tim did that, and he could do this. Okay, sir, I'll try, said Tim's voice, which lacked the conviction of his thoughts. Still, Tim's arm pulled back, and summoning all his strength, he stepped into the throw. Wait! He can't step into the throw. The cloud stops. There's no ground there. Better not miss, said a deep voice at once a million miles away and screaming in his ear. Pull back. Don't let go. Don't slip. Don't let go. Catch your balance. Don't. And his balance wavered, and his arms spun like windmills. A gust of wind surged up from below, and Tim staggered. He didn't remember letting go. He didn't see it leave his hand. Just Fletch's face as his eyes followed the short arc and then rapid descent of his beloved bow. Fletch stood, feet confidently planted on the edge of a tear in reality. He looked Tim straight in the eyes, blinked twice, and sighed. Timothy. Though calm in tone, the word hit Tim's ears like a curse. Oh. Where's my bow? Uh. Tim. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to. I just threw it as hard as I could. Stop talking and go after it. I really don't think that's such a good idea. I can't even see the bottom. Did you hear what I just said? There will be a cloud to catch you. I promise. All right, I I trust you. You seem to know more about this crazy place than I do. You knew about God, so stop logicking this out and jump. All right, I, I guess I'll go. Here I go. Madness, thought Tim. Sheer madness, as he jumped after the bow. Now oh, this is definitely falling, Tim thought, or maybe screamed. He wasn't sure. All he could hear was the sound of air flying past his face so fast it hurt. He tried to spread his body to slow himself down, but then he remembered his task. Squinting through the wind, he tried to spy the bow. Up close, the Stormtail bow is art. Streaks of opalescent blue run through the wood as if nature captured and conquered lightning itself. With the head start it got on Tim, however, it may as well be a stick spinning and twisting so as to sometimes disappear from Tim's sight. His best guess for finding the bow was, unfortunately, head down and hope for the cloud that Fletch promised. The giant sky god must have heard his plea for something started to shift in the sky far below him. Tim pressed his hands to the sides, holding his standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword tight, and dove toward the new shape. Tim was getting closer, but the shape wasn't looking any more like a cloud. In fact, it looked more like a tear, a huge rip across the sky that was growing fast. And then the seams started to open. Portals were new to Tim. He had never come across one while working as a groom in the Ravencrest stables, nor had his brief trip downriver to the coast and on to the Dorlea been full of magical gateways to other places. Yet since being ripped from the ship through a portal, Tim assumes, it seems as though he had been brought to the very place from which all portals originated. Hundreds opened as he and Fletch had leapt across the floating flowers to the castle of the Sky God. And then the Sky God and Zabba started to close them, so they must be bad, deduced aspiring Detective Tim. This was a troubling thought as the portal below him grew larger and flew closer every second. 
He caught sight of the Stormtail bow as the magic inlays caught the light reflecting off the shining blue sea below. Through the portal, oceans stretched out for miles in every direction, and Tim wondered if he was just above the Dorlea this whole time, though he didn't spot any vessels on the surface of the fast-approaching sea. Is this it? Was my adventure end dying at sea? The thought jogged something. Something Fletch said while they fought the cat monster. Something about dying on the boat. He said died. In the past tense. Tim suddenly felt a lurch in the pit of his stomach, even though he thought he had no lurches left in him. Something about that thought disturbed him to his core. A dread so powerful overcame him. He nearly passed out and threw up at the same time. The urges fought each other until Tim and the Dorlea Biscuit became reacquainted. An enormous clash of thunder exploded above and behind Tim with enough force to change his course. With it came a tree trunk-sized bolt of lightning sizzling across the sky towards the ocean portal below him. The lightning zipped up the portal like mending a pair of trousers, and Tim once again fell through the open sky. With a sigh of relief, Tim spun around to see what happened and caught a glimpse of the Sky God, a giant if ever the term could apply to anything, grab a hold of a thunderbolt and zoom back toward the battle. On his shoulder, Tim saw Zabbis Kinlan, his blue hair and black cape billowing behind him. Zabbis saved my life, he thought, wind rushing against his back. Far above him, the dragon spun around in midair, pinned its wings against its back, and flew toward a portal Tim couldn't see. Nothing he could do about that, though. He had to get the bow. Tim turned over and saw a desolate black gray landscape dotted with tangled broken trees and jagged tooth-like rocks. Another portal had opened. Zabbis wasn't saving him this time, and Tim crossed the threshold into parts unknown. The first thing he noticed was the air. When Tim was in the Sky World, despite its monsters, dragons, and athletic mishaps, the air was the freshest he had ever inhaled. Every breath was exhilarating, even as he fell to what surely would be his death. But in this new place, the air was thick and acrid. A deep breath burned his lungs, and he started coughing, doubling over and spinning through the air. Trying to regain some sense of up and down, Tim figured he had mere moments to either somehow find a way out of this or collect his final thoughts. Either way, he may as well get a better look at the place he was going to die. Squinting, he thought he could make out some kind of settlement to the east, though it could have been a rock quarry as easily as a village. There seemed to be roads, though, snaking through the rocks and a dead forest of burnt-out trees. The whole area looked as though it was ravaged by fire and disease. North of him, he saw something impact the ground with a cloud of dust. The bow! The ground was getting closer and closer. There had to be some way to slow himself down. Oh, if only he had magic. But he was just a man. No, a boy. A stupid boy dreaming of being something he's not. The rocks grew larger and pointier. He's no hero. He couldn't even toss a bow. The ground is closer now. Something below him. Sad, stupid boy. Dying, failing a quest. What is that? It's the spot you're gonna die. No, it looks like... Jelly? The impact with the surface hurt. Badly. 
The force knocked the air from Tim's lungs as he plied through fathoms of a gooey, viscous liquid. It stung his skin and ate away at his clothes, but Tim was still moving too fast to worry about that just yet. Slowed by whatever it was he landed in, Tim still hit with an immense force and he could feel that energy transferring into pressure around him. He carved a path through the goo like an arrow through his stag, forcing it to expand somewhere and press into him. But he kept tunneling. He was running out of air now and his vision started to dim. The burning was getting worse and so was the pressure. He was slowing down significantly now or maybe he was passing out or finally dying. His lungs burned for air and his skin burned from the goo. He felt like he was stopping. Everything was finally going to stop. A gigantic pop and a splash shocked him back to consciousness. He sat on wet, smoldering dirt, gulped hot, acrid air. He coughed, spitting goo from his lips and gathered himself. He was alive. Some kind of giant jelly cube had broken his fall and paid for it. Though it left him covered in stinging goo, the burning wasn't as bad as it was when he was engulfed. Tim nodded thanks to the thing as he stood and looked around. His surroundings were bleak. Even the barest fields of talent weren't as bleak as this place. The sky was a pale gray with purple and greenish clouds that hung more like a haze. Though it was mercifully without portals, it was day as best Tim could tell, but only in so much as it wasn't pitch dark. Everything looked as though it were in shadow. The ground was covered in black dirt and gray stones, along with bones and detritus that must have been inside the goo. The trees, such as they were, looked more like rock sculptures at first, all gnarled and devoid of leaves. Jagged mountains rose in the far north and pale white lightning erupted across the sky above them. Tim wasn't lucky enough to get to go to the temple school, but he had seen maps the soldiers left around and heard tales from travelers and adventurers as they visited Ravenscrest. He never heard of anything like this, and never imagined a place so chilling could exist in the known world. With a groan, he took a step north, toward where he guessed the bow may have landed. As long as he was alive, he may as well keep searching. Maybe next time I'm dying, I'll have earned some better thoughts. Breathing the air stung his lungs, and his lungs expanding hurt his ribs, and clutching his ribs irritated the burns on his skin, all while each step felt as though his bones may finally shatter. But better to be breathing. All right, Tim, he said aloud to himself. You can barely breathe, moving hurts. You've no food or water, and you've no idea where you are. What did Fletch say? You've got this. Tim left out the, I think, and kept walking. Tim climbed a cluster of rocks, narrowly avoiding the nastiest snake he had ever seen. When it reared back in warning, it shook a spiked rattle at the end of its tail and bared four fangs from its top jaw. Tim threw himself over the nearest rock to escape, landing back on the other side at the base of a thicket of dead trees. Bats nested in the twisted, tangled branches, but mercifully paid Tim no attention as he cautiously walked beneath them, his sword drawn. When what Tim thought was the last dead leaf clinging to a branch shuddered to life, spread wide, leathery wings, and flew through the branches scooping up bats with a pelican-like mouth, Tim couldn't help but run. 
Gasping for air in the strange atmosphere, Tim stopped and doubled over, clutching his side. He stood, lifting his hands over his head and looked around. Nothing but black dirt and gray rocks. All right, Tim, he panted. You got this, but maybe sit down for just a second. He sat back on a long, flat rock, his hands still over his head, and slowed his breathing. He looked up at the sky to try to orient himself. There was something about the sky that just didn't look right. Where was the sun, or moon, or stars? Just looks like shadows. The rock under Tim started to shake. An earthquake? The rock started to rise, taking Tim with it, until it tipped and tossed Tim like a stallion bucking a rider. As Tim stumbled once again, he caught sight of the rock, scuttling away like some giant crab before he rolled down a hill. Say what you will about falling through an endless sky, at least it's as smooth a ride, Tim thought, giving himself over to the absurdity of yet another fall. Dirt and gravel gave way under him, until he finally stopped on level ground, his back slamming against the ground with a thud. He had found the road. He couldn't help but smile. A laugh came out with a groan and a groan as a laugh, but then another sound cut through the air. Is that a horse? Tim listened closer. Certainly sounded like a horse, and it sounds like it's hurt. Raising to one knee, Tim made sure he could still walk and that nothing was broken, other than his entire sense of reality. And then he moved toward the sound. He came over a small ridge to see a cart made out of black wood pulled by a single beast. For what was yoked to the cart was no horse. Though it had some equine features, it looked to Tim like this creature's ancestors bred horses looking for pit bulls. Not more than ten hands high, but muscled like a bull with crimson red fur and a short, broad snout, horns like a ram, the creature was yanking a powerful leg from something stretched across the road. It was caught. The cart's driver paced nearby. They looked shorter than Tim, dressed in a heavy gray cloak. As Tim got closer, he could hear a feminine voice speaking in a language he didn't understand. Some kind of elvish, maybe. She was repeating the same thing over and over again. She's trying to cast a spell. Excuse me, Tim called out. He walked slowly toward the scene, his arms open and palms up to show he wasn't carrying any weapons though his standard-issue talent short sword hung at his belt. Do you need some help with your... horse? The girl stopped in her tracks. She slowly turned toward Tim, her hood falling as she looked over her shoulder. Her hair was white, not like any old lady's, but like a polished ivory. She wasn't old at all, maybe even Tim's age, except her pointed ears made that guess impossible. Her skin was a deep purple, almost black in this shadowy light and her eyes an emerald green. A drow! Tim let out a sigh of relief. The quartermaster in Ravenscrest was a drow, and well-liked by the workers about town. Things are finally starting to look up. Then the drow screamed. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's all right. I, I don't want to hurt you, take your cart or anything. I, I'm, a, I'm good with horses, and yours seems to be caught, so... Human! Well, yeah, I, I guess... Tim wrinkled his brow. The horse thing yanked again and snorted in pain. It looks like it stepped in some kind of barbed wire trap. Look, it's, it's just going to hurt himself if he keeps... What are you doing here? How did you get out? 
Out of what? The horse thing didn't look terribly hurt yet. If Tim could cut away the wire... How I got here is a long song, and I don't know all the words, to be honest with you. Now, if, if you just... He pushed past the girl and knelt next to the horse thing, approaching it so it could see him and patting it gently. Look, if there's a patrol after you, I don't want any trouble. Patrol? I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you could just stand over there, you're, you're blocking what little light there is in this place, and even the shadows have shadows, jeez. Tim was busy assessing the damage to the horse thing's leg. Not too bad. The girl didn't move. Wait, did you not escape from the fault of our holding pens? Tim stood and faced the girl. Miss, I fell out of the sky into some goo. I, I really don't know what you're talking about. Please just move a little. He gently pushed her left shoulder. Thank you. The girl paused. Then her green eyes grew large and wide and gasped. Brightsider! What? You're a brightsider, an evil human wizard from the realm beyond, come to steal riches. It's begging your pardon, but do I look like an evil wizard? Tim raised his arms to his sides. His already meager clothing was tattered by thousands of feet of freefall and burning goo. His skin, too, was burned, and bruises were already turning yellow and purple all over his body. His lips were parched and cracked. Well, no, don't even have the pointy hat. Tim returned to working on the tangled leg. He unsheathed his standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword and pressed the emblem of the Empire on the pommel, revealing a small tab on the crossguard. Pulling on the tab, he removed a small pair of scissors. The girl knelt beside him. But that doesn't mean you're not pulling some kind of deception, Brightsider. If you're not an evil wizard, then what are you doing here? Tim started to, Tim started to snip away the wire while muttering an old Talonese blessing Jason taught him. He didn't know what it meant, but the sounds always seemed to soothe horses. I've heard the stories. I know brightsiders are dangerous, the girl continued, though her tone seemed to be softening as Tim worked. Don't think I'm dangerous. Maybe that's part of why I don't seem to be very good at this. Seems fearlessness is important. Certainly a bit of madness. Maybe you do need to be a little bit dangerous for this life. Flax dangerous. Even if he wants a good time. Savage can be dangerous without even trying. What are you talking about, Brightsider? Only a few barbs remained. The horse thing snorted, but stopped struggling. But helping, helping's part of it too, like Juno. Tim pressed the pommel again and a compartment in the handle opened with a soft click. Tim took some dried herbs from the compartment and rubbed them into the horse thing's wound. He tore his tattered shirt away and ripped it into strips. Tim tied the shirt strips around the poultices and stood. He looked to the cart. The flatbed wasn't overly full, and there was room in the driver's seat for two, but she was clearly traveling alone. Wonder why. Curious. Like Modron. He scratched the thick, muscled neck of the horse thing. I don't know. I don't know what I am. But I do know I'm no threat to you. Just so I saw your horse thing struggling. And you looked like you were having a hard time, too, with your... Spell... I was doing just fine, thanks. With the spell, I mean. She looked down at her hands, then sighed. Turning to the disarmed trap, she said, Thank you. For helping Budo, I mean. No problem. What's this trap doing in the road, anyway? The girl turned toward the road, looking east. Probably just patrols trying to force travelers through a toll. They blame bandits, but everybody knows. 
Oof. Sounds criminal. The mists always get their due. A human should know that. She looked back at Tim, then, seeing the look of confusion on his face, continued, Right, right, Cider, I, I forgot. You keep saying that. You keep saying a lot of things as though I should understand them. Look, I'm from Ravenscrest. Talon, you know Talon. The Amber Peninsula? Now you're saying things like I should understand them. Tim sighed and looked at the strange sky. Where the bloody hell had that portal sent him? Wait, of course, portals! Right, Cider. When you said realm beyond, you didn't mean a neighboring kingdom. You meant another realm. Where am I? Right now, you're on the Gentor Road, not far from the Fulthafar holding pens, which is not a good place for a human. So thank you very much for your help, but I really do need to get back. She crossed past him to the cart where she adjusted the harness on her horse thing, Budo. Well, hang on, that, that, that's some very heavy information I just deduced. I, I'm in a different realm, and, well, I need to get home. I'm sure you do, she said, pulling the ropes, holding down the canvas on the back of the cart. Yeah, so I helped you with your horse thing, sorry, Budo, and I know that drow Grant wishes. Excuse me? She threw down the ropes and wheeled around on him, standing on her tiptoes to better even their heights. We do not grant wishes. She flattened her feet and looked away. It's more complicated than that. Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to overstep it. Where I'm from, there's a drow, Quartermaster Bree, who is in charge of getting things people need. She's kind of got a reputation. She's always been nice to us working in the stable. When I saw you were kinfolk to her, I thought maybe you could help. Look, it's not just about getting things. It's... It's more like channeling desire and creating a tunnel through space and time to connect two points in a brief enough moment to capture the power when want and need are one. Then, again, she stared at her hands as she spoke. After a moment, she shrugged. It's easy. Tim stepped toward the cart with excitement, seeing a way home. Oh, great. You see, I'm looking for a bow. She intercepted him, cutting him off. Hang on, Brightsider. Just just because you helped me with Budo doesn't mean you just get a free finding. There are rules and um procedures. She looked away and walked slowly toward the cart. Okay, I'm, I'm from military town. I know procedures. She turned back when he said military. Don't don't worry, I'm no soldier. I was just saying I know rules is all. What, what do you need? Components. Sometimes there are druids coming through the stables, driving in wild horses to trade. They'd use herbs and things for spells. Huh, kind of like the sword herbs, eh? I don't, um, I know this really powerful sorcerer who never needs components. He can do magic sometimes without even trying. Is it more like that? No, it's just... Oh, do you have a magic wand? It, it's my first adventure, okay? Her back was turned to him and facing the cart. She clutched the reins in her right hand and balled it into a fist. I can't just do the big magic. Not with components, not without it. I just can't do it. She spun on her heels and stared daggers at him with her big green eyes. Tim tried. He tried very hard, but he couldn't help but burst out laughing. What's so funny, Brightsider? Tim dropped to his knees. 
It's not, it's not funny. I can't do the big magic yet. I, I can't, I can't go home until I do. So tell me what's so funny. Choking down laughs, Tim managed to wheeze. You won't believe me if I told you. You should be grateful I just didn't kill you. And you're laughing at me. No, no, it's not, it's not that. It's just, he wiped away a tear. I'm on my first adventure too. This is great. This is so great. I'm sorry. How is how is this great? Tim smiled and stood up. He grabbed the drow by her shoulders, beaming. Because now we can team up. We can be a team. He let her go and, with purpose, walked over to the cart. You need someone who needs something, right? Well, I can't go home until I get Fletch Stormtail's bow back. We'll work together. A party like real adventurers. If there's anything I learned from my time with the Heroes of Night's Pass, it's that you can't complete a quest alone. Maybe I should never have left Ravenscrest by myself. Maybe you should never have left your home by yourself. I don't know. But maybe you can tell me about it on the road, because now we have each other. He drew his sword and pointed it northeast, toward where he thought the bow may have landed. What do you say? Have room in your cart for one more? The girl looked at him. Curious boy. Burned. Shirtless. And extra pale save for his ever-worsening bruises. Holding an old sword as though it were a king's weapon. But in his face, she saw a little fearlessness. And when he helped, he was kind. The sword, despite its age, looked sharp and ready. There was no doubt he was a little mad. She held out her hand. I'm Nessica Naharis. Welcome to the Shadowfell. What's your name? Ah, here it is. Horse Master Jace threw an old wooden crate full of odd scraps of leather and metal to the side, revealing a heavy wooden footlocker bound in tarnished brass bands. Carved into the top was the emblem of the Talon Empire, a regal bird of prey with its talons clasping the world and its wings stretched from sea to sea. Though the Empire hadn't held lands past the peninsula since before even the Horsemaster was born, the imagery could still be seen blazoned across buildings and banners from Hawk's Ridge to Hookbill. The trunk looked as ancient as Jace, with knots and scars to match the lines and divots in the old man himself. Yet it was sturdy, reliable, and useful still. Haven't had to break into this old trunk since I started at the stables, but I knew there'd be a day for it. With a dusty creak, the lid opened. Wrinkled hands reached inside and removed a long bundle of cloth tied with a simple leather band. Jace turned to face Tim, looking up at the lad and then quickly down at the bundle. Tim saw some moisture swelling in the soft brown eyes. Wolfsmaster, I really can't accept it. Shit, you hole, lad. You'll take it and you'll like it. And no more of this Horsemaster slop. You're not in her excellency service no more. I'm just Jace now, if in your place. Horsemaster Jace was right about that. Tim had done the unthinkable and formally resigned his position to the barracks commander just that morning. In the wake of the events surrounding the Bombatton scandal, the Duchess loosened service regulations for the first time in a generation. A complete restructuring of the Ravenscrest garrison weeded out those loyal to the traitor John Meldare and allowed for certain individuals who demonstrated their commitment to the Empire to seek opportunities outside the military. Tim leapt at the chance. Sorry, sir, but it was you who taught me this respect, and now it's you who'll have to receive it. Aye, fair enough, lad. 
Well, show me some respect by accepting my gift, damn it. You going to eat out there, adventuring, or what have you? He shoved the bundle into Tim's chest. Metal shifted inside leather with a clink and a thud. Jace turned away and looked out to the yard where the new groom was leading a horse out to the barracks as Tim untied the leather strap. The cloth was an old banner, so faded Tim couldn't recognize the sigil, if it had one. Inside was a standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword. Tim wasn't permitted more than a dagger at his low rank, and truly had never worn a weapon, opting instead for a more utilitarian small knife. There was never a need for a longer, deadlier blade around the stables, much less an honest-to-goodness sword. No wonder Jace had kept his locked away. It was heavy. Back when I was your age, the Emperor, he was one of the Georges, uh, maybe Charles, doesn't matter, got in his mind that he be one to finally conquer the South. Let me give you some advice, lad. Our people were not made for the sea. Anyway, when we finally got to those jungles, I was glad to have that blade by my side. Just as glad as I was to put it in that box and forget about it. I suppose those are lessons you learn for yourself. In the yard, the horse reared, and the startled groom fell into a puddle. Some of the passing soldiers chuckled as the embarrassed boy scrambled to his feet and chased after the reins. Don't you suppose you have time to teach some lessons of yourself before you go, eh? No, I know, I know. Shame, though. All my years at the stables, I can't think of anyone, man, elf, or other, who had away with them horses like you. It's very kind of you, sir. I've always liked animals. And you had plenty of strange beasts out there in the big world. Some are tameable, and others monstrous. That blade there is for when you find yourself staring down the ladder. Go on, then. Give it a turn about the yard. But maybe just give young Reggie a wide berth, eh? When you feel you got the weight of it, there's some nifty little tricks I'll show you. The old man rubbed his hands together with excitement as Tim unsheathed his standard-issue Talon infantry shortsword with a slow, deliberate stroke. The metal scraped against the wooden interior of the scabbard, and a heroic shimmer rang out in the stable. Jace smiled as Tim brandished the blade, awkwardly attempting a fighting position. Stable hands didn't receive much combat instruction from the Talon military, so he attempted his best imitation of what he had seen in the training fields. One foot back, the other forward. No, switch. Aye, there you go. Jace was using the same tone he used calming one of the mares, but Tim ignored it and tried to do as he said. Now, raise your sword arm. As he did, the light caught the wide, fat blade and reflected into Tim's eyes. He grimaced, squinting hard, and blinked several times. Suddenly, the world seemed much darker. Darker than it should have, even from being flashed with a reflection. It was as if the sun fell into an eclipse, with only scant light coming from somewhere behind him. When his vision adjusted, he wasn't in the stable. He was in a wooden room with no windows. The ceiling was low, forcing Tim to slightly crouch. He no longer held the sword. He also wasn't wearing his formal clothes from meeting with the barracks commander, but simple traveling clothes. This isn't how it went, he heard himself think. That thought made about as much sense as this room. Horizontal wooden plank walls, plank floors, no windows, and looking ahead of him, the walls met forming into a triangle. 
Our paper will not pay for the sea, Horsemaster Jace said a long time ago. In the empty space in front of him, the shadows from the faint light source swirled like an early morning fog. Tim tried to move, he tried to run, but no amount of strength or mind or body could force his legs to budge. The shadows continued to gather into more discernible and disturbing shapes. Tim's eyes darted across the mists. His eyes seemed to be his only free muscles. Picked out first a long, clawed hand, then a spindly, almost skeletal arm. The shadow by now had formed into a dense, black smoke, and the arm connected to a body of billowing terror. What is this place? Tim's mind raced. Why do I know this place? The shadow, now a complete upper body and humanoid head with a lower half fading into nothingness, slowly floated toward Tim. He could feel sweat beating on his forehead. The shadow's face tilted up as its spectral form inched closer and the walls around Tim seemed to bow and contort. Tim tried to turn his head, but he couldn't. Whatever this thing was, it was forcing him to confront it. His eyes wide with tears running down his cheeks, Tim looked into the face of the shadow and saw his own horrified reflection in two polished onyx orbs. Something was taken. Something owed. I didn't take anything. I, I swear I, I hate crimes. I Something is owed. The shadow had no mouth that Tim could see, yet the voice pierced his ears like a knife. The words felt cold, and Tim's teeth started to chatter. The shadow reached out with a clawed hand toward Tim's face, and only then he could see the smoky fingers tipped with sharpened onyx. Six otherworldly blades creeped towards him, circling his head like buzzards awaiting prey. Still paralyzed, Tim had no choice but to watch as the claws dug into his temples, scalp, and cheeks with a burning white light. All the while, the reflection of the horrible procedure played out in the stones. Tim could see his own fear, tears streaming as the claws wriggled, searching for something... something... in his mind? Wait, what was that? There, behind him in the reflection, something was running towards him. A creature of some kind, dark fur, maybe black, but impossible to tell in the black reflection... And horns? It was running fast. The reflection was doubling in size every second until the stones blinked. And then the eyes opened. And Tim saw the horizontal pupils of amber goat eyes staring back at him. The searing pain in his face was gone. There were two loud pops, and the shadow's face sprouted little horns. Two more and a pair of ears joined them. Then the shadow burst into a cloud of black, blue, and purple smoke, and Tim was face to face with an enormous black goat. He staggered back. He staggered back! A moment of joy broke out on his face as he regained his motor abilities, but it was short-lived as he found himself rapidly falling away from the goat, falling further than the floor, falling still, falling through an endless sky of shadow and mist. Tim screamed in terror, screamed to go back, screamed for help. And then he felt a hand take hold of his and pull. It's all right, I've got you. Oof, this human was heavy. 
Nessica pulled her companion back into the cart's seat, using both hands to heave him up by a lanky arm. It's okay, just calm down. You're all right. It's just a nightmare. Dazed, the boy called Tim blinked and shivered, but didn't let go of her hand. I'm sorry, I, I, I must have... Don't be sorry. It's nothing you can control. She turned back to the road and grabbed the reins. Budo was trotting casually along a rocky trail in the direction Tim said his treasure had fallen. From his description, the bow should have landed nearby, but so far she saw nothing but rocks and dirt and the occasional crumble bush breaking the monotony with its spindly, brittle branches. I guess you're right. We all have nightmares sometimes. Well, sure. Especially humans. Nessica thought back to hearing merchants tell of unsettling nights in human villages where the screams would shake the floorboards. That was before she failed the trials, of course, when she could still attend the markets. Her cousins would supply the merchants with tonics and potions to ease the humans' rest, and they would mark up their price knowing how desperate the humans were. And the mist keeps swirling, she muttered. What? You're just in for some rough nights, I mean. Nothing you can do about it. Your folk aren't made for this place. Even the ones born here. Even the free ones. Essica knew there was a danger to traveling with a human. But this missing bow was the best lead she'd found since she was sent away. Anyone, from a lowly goblin to a demon lord, would be skeptical of a drow without command of her magic. And some would even compelled by old custom to turn her away completely. But this brightsider knew nothing of the traditions of this land, for better or worse. Oh, that didn't seem to keep him from the nightmares. She shrugged. Who's to say how a brightsider will fare here? She glanced back at him. He was still clearly shaken from his ordeal. Whatever it was really rattled him. He seemed older now than the boy who, laughing, invited her on an adventure just hours before. She nudged him with a shoulder. Especially a wizard who lost his pointy hat, she teased. Tim feigned a chuckle and shook his head, sighed. It's a bow I have to, and I'm no wizard. But thanks for not letting me fall onto the rocks, I mean. My pleasure. You passed out almost the second we hit the road. Seemed to really need the rest, so I didn't stop you. Safe enough. Not much of anything out here. I appreciate it, Miss... Nessica. I appreciate it, Nessica, Tim repeated with a hint of mockery, and he nudged her back, finally letting go of her hand. I do, though. He smiled and pulled the borrowed cloak tighter around him. As tight as it would go, anyway. Nessica's cloak barely covered his lean, square shoulders. But it was something, for now. Something to help shield his burned skin from the harsh, dusty wind. The burns from the acid jelly weren't too bad, but they stood out against his complexion. He was almost as pale as her hair. The wounds will need to be covered soon, or they'll never heal well. And if they're to be adventuring partners, he'll certainly need a better fit. If she could get over herself and make the connection, she could just conjure him some nice wyvern hide armor from the smiths at Elburn. Or maybe a Grey Flames tunic. Stop it! That's how you got into this mess. It doesn't matter anyway. Every time has been the same since the trials. The words are the same, the motions are the same, but she 
can't do it. Try as she might, she can't bring forth more than a spark. Maybe an ember, but never more. Never a flame. Nessica. Tim's voice snapped her attention back to the road. Did he notice her looking at him? That wasn't weird. She was just looking at the cloak. That wasn't weird. Uh, yeah, yes. What? Thanks for the cloak. They rode for some time over the jagged terrain. Budo's powerful legs propelled the compact cart over crag and crevice. Tim told Nessica the whole story of the outrageous events that brought him to help her free Budo from that trap. Of the fire at the barracks in his hometown, and the criminals who conspired to rule it. Of the journey down a river, to a sea, and then suddenly in the air. And of the battle with heroes and a great dragon. Now that's how I know you're lying. Who's that? Dragons have been extinct since the last convergence. Nisika, do me a favor and pretend like I'm a stable hand from another world. She shot him a sly smirk despite herself. Come on, the Convergence. You have to know about it. It was when the shadow fell and the bright side collided in the Cosmosphere, fusing the two realms until a giant war between elves and dragons blew them apart. It's why... She stopped. Maybe he didn't need to know about all that right now. Ignorance is bliss, right? He's been thrust into her world against his will and is already having the nightmares. No need to stress him further. At least not before they've found this bow and she fulfilled her duty. Why, what? I don't remember exactly. History wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I, I never went to a proper school myself. Oh good, he wasn't pressing it. Another time. Maybe they can find some dream tonic. That'll help him rest, at least. I will say, Tim continued, before yesterday, I never saw hide nor hair of anything like what was up in that sky. But I sure do believe there's at least one dragon out there right now. And now you're here, chasing a great hero's magic bow. That's right. I think you landed on your head when you fell. He laughed. <laughs> Maybe it would have been better than the jelly, eh? She smiled. Maybe. I know I would have been just fine once I figured out that trap on my own. I maintain we are better off as a team. That remains to be seen, sir. Tim, he said with a smirk. That remains to be seen, Tim. So far you've only managed to send me and Budo on a wild weasel chase. And steal my cloak. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't steal... Anything. I would never do such a thing. Relax, I didn't mean it. I obviously gave it to you. Sorry, I... I guess I take loss seriously. It's, it's a big deal where I'm from. Sure, of course. Forget I said anything. She couldn't help but think of the trial. Of the arbiters looming over her as they announced her offense to the entire cohort. Of their stone faces as they wordlessly rebuked her arguments, letting her ramble about her intention and flimsy justifications. Every moment they let her speak, her case was another shovel full of dirt as she dug her own grave. An exile quest was the only recourse. She was banished until she could complete it. 
They sat quietly as Budo steered the cart around a large boulder, which led to a small, barren hillside. Budo stopped to graze on a crumble bush. Nessica led him. They could all use a break. She hopped down from the cart and held a hand for Tim, though his height made the gesture more symbolic than practical. She offered him some water from her skin. Taking it, Tim sighed. Here's a wild weasel chase. Are you sure we can't figure out your magic somehow? Tim, I told you I... She stopped. What was that smell? I know, it's fine. No, there's something you don't need to explain. It was really me to ask again. Like you said, I should be grateful you didn't just kill me, and here we are looking for a bow, and you gave me water, and cloak, and... I should have a more positive attitude. Tim, what kind of bow was it you were looking for? A stormtail bow. Shoots lightning. I smell ozone. What? Lightning. I smell lightning. Just over this ridge. Let's go. Surprising herself, Nessica ran toward the crest of the hill. Without her cloak, her hair flew wild in the wind behind her. Her boots dug into the gravelly soil and her legs burned as the incline grew steeper. Lightning. She couldn't believe it. If the wind hadn't shifted, who knows? She may have missed it. It doesn't matter now. On the other side of this hill could be the very bow that Tim seeks. And if they found it without magic. Once he gets that weapon in hand, she'll be free from her exile and go home. Finally leaving behind this hard and dangerous road. Wouldn't be so bad if even basic spells worked. Her sentence shouldn't apply to simple conjurings, but nonetheless, no flame. And it's been lonely. It's hard to trust folk in a blood zone. But things will be different now. As Nessica ran up that hill, she felt different. Tim followed right behind, one hand on the hilt of his sword. His long legs could easily outpace Nessica, even fatigued as he was. As they neared the top, however, he crouched and slowed. Nessica, though, was overcome with a burst of eagerness. Something was close. She could feel it. A tiny avalanche tumbled down as Tim slid to an abrupt halt right before the crest of the ridge. Nessica, wait! He called out. But she couldn't wait any longer. The smell was so strong, sharp and clean and crisp. What else but a powerful otherworldly object could cause that? closest storm was up in the mountains miles and miles away. Gods, she thought. What luck! This would all be over soon. The shame she felt as she left would turn into triumph. She couldn't recall anyone from her clan that aided a brightsider on an exile quest. This would show her smug uncle and the rest of the Arbiters. She'd march right into the temple, right up to the conduit altar itself, Tim by her side like a trophy. They couldn't keep her out then. Not after she... Oh, gods! The hill, in fact, was no hill. But the other side of an impact crater. Standing atop the crest, Nessica stared down at a charred, blackened hole as wide as a large room. While it was immediately clear something hit this spot from a great height with great speed, there was no bow in the crater. Just the lingering scent of a storm. Scorch marks and gravel turned to hazy, gloopy glass. What looked to be several corpses, roasted, crispy, dotted the hole. She felt a pull on her tunic and Tim yanked her down to his side. 
We don't know what's over there. Be careful. We need to take in the scene. Try to figure out what happened. He was whispering. What happened? It looks like your lightning bow exploded. Keep your voice down. It could be brigands. Look to me like we don't have to worry about them. Still, he said, drawing his sword. Caution. Something changed on Tim's face. Even with everything the boy had been through, he usually wore a mask of curious bemusement. In that moment, however, Nessica saw a determination she didn't expect. He seemed older suddenly. His jaw was square, his eyes more focused. She nodded. Right, let's go. Tim hurtled the ridge of the crater like hopping a fence, his sword out and ready, and then immediately slipped on a loose rock, tumbling ass over apple cart all the way down the crater, landing with his face smashed against a burned body. <laughs> Nesca burst into laughter. <laughs> Was that caution? Shall I follow just as cautiously? <laughs> Very funny. Tim pulled a burned, broken bone from under his back and rolled over, stood and brushed himself off. Just get down here and help me look for clues. Clues? It's a very special detective technique. A technique he put into practice without giving her another look. He set about sticking his nose in everything, from the corpse that broke his fall to the charred rocks underfoot. Whatever happened here left us hints. If we can find them, we can piece together how these people were burned up like this. Nessica, with actual caution, shuffled down the inner slope of the crater. When she reached the bottom, she made a dramatic show of staying on her feet, to which Tim scoffed. Well, I still smell lightning. Is that a clue? Definitely. Tim wandered through the crater, picking up burnt branches and charred bits of armor or weapons. Looks like this was a group of soldiers. A patrol, most like. Look at all these teeth. Most of these were gator men. We must be near the black box. Excellent clue, Nessica. She stood a little straighter, but Tim was scanning the ground. But I think... I found something... even better. Come look. He was near the very center of the crater crouched over a particularly scorched body. One of the poor creature's arms was fixed aloft as if it were reaching to the sky when it was struck by whatever force ended its life. But it was the ground next to it that Tim was inspecting. Eh, he pointed with the tip of his sword. See this curve embedded in the ground? Yeah. And here, this pattern, sure enough, Embossed into the rock below a layer of soot was a clearly foreign texture, almost like tree bark. She tilted her head, she could make herself see the arm's grip and knocking point of a recurved bow. Tim looked up at her from his crouched position. I didn't have it for long, but when you look at something of real beauty, you don't forget it. His eyes lingered for just a moment, and... Nessica saw his lips curl into just the beginning of a smile. His excited, kind eyes fixed on her own, but when she, without thinking, started to return the grin, he snapped back to the corpse. This chap didn't seem to have as beautiful of an experience. Okay, so if the impact point was your bow, what happened? Tim stood, 
paced around the crater for a few moments, stopping to get closer looks at some of the other corpses. Then at the ground, then at the slope, then at the sky. Tim. He stuck his right arm out straight, pointing off northeast. And then his left, pointing west. Tim, what happened? Do you know where the bow is or not? I have a theory. Maldron told me that a detective's best tool was a gut. My gut is telling me that the Stormtail bow did not want these folks using it. When this poor guy here grabbed it, he let a blast of energy go that fried everyone here. Okay, but then where's the bow? We need to find it. How many usually run in these patrols? I don't know for sure. Usually six? Maybe eight? It, de- it depends. I-, I don't make it my business to get up close and personal with them. There are only five bodies. Nessica started to understand. Whatever defense mechanism was preventing the bow from being wielded by an outsider must have only had one charge. Hell of a charge, though it was. And look here, Tim continued. We fell down that side of the crater, right? But then over here, from the opposite direction, there's a bunch of footprints. Oh, jeez, these things had some massive feet. They overlapped too much for me to tell how many there were, but... And up on this side... He ran over to another part of the crater. There's only one set. Running back up. Maybe two? Or maybe they fell. How many legs do these gator men have? Nessica was impressed. She can't honestly say she would have picked up on any of these details. Though if she were truly being honest with herself, she wouldn't have even looked in the first place. Once the bow wasn't here, she was ready to move on. Always looking for the shortcut. She heard her uncle's voice in her head. Dear Lord, what was that? She smelt it too, but hadn't been paying attention, distracted by Tim's investigation. Now that it was strong enough for the human to notice, however, Oh, it smells like an open grave. Ugh. He put his sleeve up to his face and tried to shield his nose. How could she forget? Oh, the, the corpses. It was just a matter of time. Tim, get, get down over here. She half-whispered, half-screamed as she ducked behind the blistered corpse of a gator man. Tim followed, his wrist still covering his face. Oh, what is this? It's a carrion lion. Be quiet. After the smell, the sound of displaced stones rolling down the crater was their next clue that something large approached. Low growls resonated through the air, shaking her insides as the big cat lumbered closer. Tim gripped his sword and took a deep breath. Okay, just another monster cat. Nothing new. You've done this before. He said not to Nessica, but to himself, and then started to rise. Wait! Nessica grabbed at the cloak as Tim turned to leap over to the corpse. But when he caught sight of the carrion lion, he dropped right back down next to her. Eight feet long and five feet high, the powerful, lithe predator had huge, razor-clawed paw up on the next closest corpse. Its enormous square head had no fur but tight, leathery skin pulled so close to its blocky skull that it scarcely appeared to have skin at all. As such, there was nothing resembling lips to conceal a foot-long maw of knife-like teeth designed for ripping flesh from bone. A bushy mane of crimson hair encircled its neck, and it looked like billowing flame when it shook its head side to side as the creature munched on its meal. You aren't going to get us out of there with that measly hunk of metal. It doesn't even look enchanted. 
That's a carrion lion. Its flesh is already dead. Hacking at it won't do any good. Already dead, but it's... I, I know, I know, but life and death work differently here. Trust me, that... She pointed to the short sword. It's not what we need. The lion snarled and snorted loudly. A bone crunched and crispy shrapnel rained over them as the creature tore the body apart with abandon. Well, if you're the expert, then what do we need? Because that thing looks like it's skipped a few meals and it's almost through its first course. He was right. They were running out of time. Tim said himself he was no wizard. It was up to her. She closed her eyes and reached deep within herself, drawing on the hidden forces of the world, the secret passages that run through space and connect all things. She tried to focus her mind, and moved her hands in the gestures her uncle taught her, trying to execute them exactly. Why, carrion, lion, carrion, lion, Tim, shut up! trying to focus. With all her concentration, she began to form the tunnel. Her hands stretched apart, and sparks filled the space between them. Come on, come on, she thought. She concentrated harder, trying to envision what it was that they needed, and a disk of energy burst forth. Of course. Tim, quiet, damn it, I almost have it. She was doing it. She had this end open, finally, a, a flame. Now she could just get it to catch, to connect to the other side, to get them exactly what it was that they need. A chair. A chair? And with a pop, the tunnel closed. The spell was over. Anessica held in her hands a large wooden dining chair. Yes, a chair. It's exactly what we needed. You did it. Tim hugged her quickly and awkwardly, then grabbed the chair from her bewildered grasp. And with a quick smile, he hopped over the corpse to face down the lion. With one hand on the charred corpse of a gator man and the other gripping the magic chair, Tim hurtled from safety to stare down the horrific creature Nessica called a carrion lion. The smell choked Tim's nostrils, sour and acrid, but the physical effects were only part of it. Each breath Tim drew within sight of the allegedly dead beast caused his head to feel lighter and his concentration to drift. Tim squeezed his eyes, shook his head to clear it best he could, and gripped the back of the chair tighter. You won't mess with concentration, eh? We'll see about that. But the beast couldn't hear his thoughts. It could only see living flesh that suddenly appeared among the decay, threatening its meal. It lifted its massive skull-like head and shifted its girth to square off with the challenger. Tim met its eyes, remembering Horsemaster Jace and the lessons for dealing with strange creatures, and forced himself not to blink. The stink stung his nose and his eyes watered, but somehow Tim was able to fix his gaze on the sunken, dim lights that stared back at him from wide, deep sockets. The lion removed its massive clawed paw from the corpse it was desecrating and took a slow, predatory step toward Tim. The tight, leathery skin it had on its otherwise bald head pulled tighter as it bared even more razor-sharp teeth while emitting a low, menacing growl. A glob of saliva and burned gator viscera dripped from its maw. Behind him, Nessica dared a glance over the makeshift barricade. 
What do you think you're doing? She whispers screamed. You're going to get yourself eaten. And you wasted my first good spell in... Well, in a long time. Tim didn't take his eyes off the lion's terrifying visage. Dust and charred flesh clung to the moisture of its open, withdrawn nostrils, moving gently as the beast calmly breathed in and out. It stepped to its right, and Tim mirrored it, brandishing the chair as if it were a legendary hunter's spear. His knees were bent and his back was arched. Nessica's own eyes darted between the boy and the lion. If it lunged for him, would she have time to run out of the crater? Maybe it'd be best to wait it out and hope the thing eats its fill. But could she listen to it eat Tim? She didn't know the bright side her very long, sure, but he seemed nice and determined. And if he were to be consumed by the carrion lion, she'd be right back where she started from in her quest. Oh, what was this fool doing? A chair? She couldn't believe it. Of all the things she could have summoned in that moment, he asked for a chair. That connection was as strong as she'd felt since before her banishment, maybe even ever. She could have pulled a wand of fireballs, or a great magic axe for Tim to swing through the undead flesh, rending the beast in two. He looked strong enough for it, if the axe were sharp enough. His lean muscles were tense then. His shoulders and upper arms bulged, and his thighs pushed the limits of his trousers as he crouched, coiled and ready to... Hit the monster with a chair? Get yourself together, Ness. What's the plan here, Tim? Hit it with a chair? I don't want to listen to it eat you. The beast growled, and Tim caught the slightest twitch in one of its eyes as it made note of the new sound. Shh! The chair's not for hitting. He whispered to her without breaking eye contact with the lion. Do you ever have a cat, like a pet? Now's not the best time for get-to-know-you questions. Ignoring the jab and taking another cautious step to his right, Tim continued. There was an old tabby who lived with us in the stables. A ratter by trade, but we all had an affection for. One day I was moving some feed into the stalls and... Hey, hey, no, whoa. The lion sneered and took a short, fast step forward. Jessica flinched and gasped, but Tim held his position, chair held forward, and spun the legs around, first in one direction and then the next. The lion paused and looked over toward Nessica. Hey, come on, come on. What's your stable cat have to do with us getting out of this? I can hardly stand this smell. Well, that one day in the stalls, oh, carrot sticks, it's what we called her, caught sight of a rat. She was poised just like this big boy here, stalking a rat across the stable floor, slowly moving in for the kill. When a stray arrow from training hit a window and glass fell all around the floor, the rat reflected in the shards and suddenly it looked as though there were twenty rats. Carrot Six lost to mind. Come on, Carrot Six is right there, I said, but Horsemaster Jace laughed. Something you'll need to know about cats, lad, if you're ever going out on campaign with the Legion. Be they great or small, cats are focused creatures. Unlike dogs or wolves, they work alone. And when they find prey, they fix on it. But they're easily distracted. If you ever find yourself hunting a lion, four spears will be better than one. But you have zero spears, Tim. Zero! Tim held up the four-legged chair with great satisfaction. 
Nessica stared back with her mouth agape, flabbergasted at the boy's confidence in the furniture. We don't have to slay it. It's just an animal looking for food. We just need to distract it enough so it can't focus on us as prey. We need to be the glass, not the rat. Now it's focused on me, yeah? I have the chair. I can keep it distracted. You need to run for the hill with the footprints, okay? We need to follow them and see where they go. Here. Tim carefully drew his sword from its scabbard, all the while never taking his eyes off the lion. He tossed the blade toward Nessica and it clanged on the ground in front of her. Cough off a hunk of that gator, man. No, go for the hem. Something matey. Nessica scrunched her face as she sawed the blade through the twisted thigh of the body in front of her. The poor creature's scaly skin flaked like pastry, burned as it was from the lightning, and the muscle underneath was stiff with rigor mortis. The sword, however, cut better than she expected, and within moments the hawk was free. I got it! She sprang up from behind the corpse, holding the gator ham aloft in one hand and the sword in the other, a big smile on her face. Tim couldn't help but break his stare with the lion and notice her celebration, her white hair bouncing as she jumped in excitement, then falling gracefully over one of her bright green eyes. Her deep purple skin leapt from the cold, gray crater around her, and for a moment she looked as a beacon of hope that this plan just may work. Tim smirked, and then the cat pounced. "'Run!' Tim yelled as he too sprang into action. All at once, the lion barreled toward Nessica, Tim barreled toward the lion, and Nessica made for the hill. The lion's blood-red mane danced around its neck like flames off a tracer arrow, and its muscles rippled under its desiccated skin. It roared a resonant, percussive roar that shook the stones scattered across the crater, and a pile of bones crunched under the weight of a deadly pause it pushed off, gaining speed. Nessica had scarcely made it two steps before rows and rows of razor teeth came snapping across the short barrier of Gator Man that guarded her from the full weight of the beast. For a moment, she considered turning to fight, before remembering that she had nothing but a chunk of meat and a boy's first sword to wield. In the same instant, however, even as her legs were churning, she wondered what the point of another step or two would be if these were her last she'd have as a living person. She'd almost rather save the energy for whatever life came next. But Tim's voice still echoed in her ears, and so she ran, shoving her legs into the ground and mustering all the strength she had to put as much distance between her and those teeth as she could. She made it another stride before a frying pan-sized claw swiped at her back, the knife-like tips biting into the muscle of her left shoulder. Ah! She heard her voice from somewhere, but she kept running. Tim barely made it to the big cat before it could bring its other front paw around on Nessica. Running full speed with the chair out in front of him, legs positioned like four spears, he slammed into the side of the beast, knocking it off balance. Both lion and boy tumbled over the broken bones and crispy scales of Gatorman. The cat was first up, and both regained its feet and leapt toward Tim in one fluid motion. Tim only had time enough to grab the chair and put it between his body and the monster. Now only a couple feet away from its snapping, drooling jaws, Tim felt as though he were being breathed on by death itself. The smell was unimaginable, and each hot snarl and exhale seemed to singe his already dry and cracked skin. Tim pressed against the chair with everything he had, praying to every god and goddess he could think of that the wood would hold under the immensity of the lion. 
the legs caught in the joints where front legs joined the powerful body, causing the creature enough pain to either keep it at bay or make it angry, or Tim wasn't sure. He just knew he had to hold enough for Nessica to get away, and then maybe he'd be able to outrun it up the slope of the crater if he could get out from underneath. Groaning and trying not to breathe too deeply, he pressed again, trying to get some distance between his face and the dripping, snarling maw. The points of the chair legs dug deeper into the flesh of the lion, and it hissed in pain. Tim pressed again, arching his back and hips, using his legs as much as he could. His chest burned and his muscles ached, but with a yell he pushed. The cat roared back and saliva dripped on his shoulders and face. The lion's teeth stretched before him, its two huge incisors nearly the size of his standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword. His arms started to shake, and he could barely keep his grip on the back of the chair. The weight of the beast was just too much. The teeth were getting closer. To each side of him, he felt the heat of the lion's huge front legs. The thing had all but engulfed him. He wouldn't be able to hold too much longer. Even as he summoned what strength he had left to regrip the chair before one more push, the lion countered by pressing down on him. And then the lion roared and rolled off him. Before he could see what happened, Nessica was awkwardly pulling him to his feet. She still held the gator shank in one hand and the short sword in the other, though now the blade was slick with black blood. Her hair was matted with sweat and her eyes blinked irregularly as she stared up at him. Tim could barely lift his arms from the strain of holding off the lion, but when Nessica stumbled, he caught her. He felt a wetness on her back, but before he could say anything, the lion snarled. Nessica and Tim righted themselves, doing what they could to square off against the monster. Its sunken eyes shifted between Tim and Nessica and back again. I can... I can cast another spell to this time get us... something we can... Nessica staggered away from him several steps before catching her balance, and the lion moved to follow, but as Tim stepped toward her, the lion stopped and shifted his attention. Tim stopped, too. White Nessica, I... I think... two may not be as good as four, but... Quick! Toss me the leg! The elf made an awkward toss off her back foot as she struggled for balance and winced. The lion's gaze followed the short arc of the meat through the air as it tumbled in Tim's vague direction. The carrion lion took a step toward the haunch, and Tim worried he missed his chance, but when Nessica staggered, the lion again stopped to inspect the new movement, and Tim lunged for the meat, drawing its attention back to him. Okay, now, Nessica. Ness! She was wobbling on her feet, her arm limply holding the sword to her side, and Tim saw the blood on her back for the first time. Oh, no, Nessica, stay up. Come on. We're almost out of this. You just need to do one more thing, okay? You need to get up the hill when I say go. We tried that already. We're gonna get eaten. No one's getting eaten. The lion licked its non-existent lips with a black, wet tongue as Tim started waving the meat chunk back and forth. Listen, we're the chair now, okay? You, me, and this piece of gator man are legs in the chair. We're going to take off in different directions, force this thing to focus on one of us. You and your stupid chair. You can make fun of me for the chair when we're out of this crater, okay? I'm going to count to three, and then you're going to run, all right? You can run still. You're standing, so I can run, human man. One. It's one of the only things I can still do. Can't even lift your shitty sword. 
too. She tried to lift her arm, the sword dangling in her slender hand. Wait, how did it... Thry, run! Tim threw the meat haunch directly at the lion, hitting it square in the face. The lion leapt back in surprise, all four legs leaving the ground at once. At that moment, Tim took off for the hill, up the side of the crater, churning his legs as fast as he could and hoping Nazica could do the same. When he was halfway up the hill, he looked over his shoulder to see her clawing up the hill some thirty feet to his right, dragging the sword with dark blood running down her arm. She stumbled when some rocks gave way under her feet and slipped down the hill back toward the lion. Tim cut to the right, bounding across the hill, and reached her before she could slide too far. The carrion lion looked up at the sound of the falling rocks, and seeing them bunched together gave up on the haunch. It lowered itself in a stalking position and started to creep toward them ready to pounce. By this point, Nessica had fallen over completely, blood soaking the back of her tunic. Tim crouched next to her and felt the gashes on her back from the lion's claws. The lion that was at this very moment creeping ever closer to finish the job. Tim was running out of options. Nessica's breathing was growing labored, and the blood wasn't stopping. The big cat had just about reached the bottom of the hill. It sat back on its hind legs, eyes fixed on its wounded prey. When, with a crush, wood splintered all over its bony head as Tim smashed the chair into its face. The lion roared and turned back toward the corpses, deciding that all this wasn't worth the effort as it swatted away splinters of broken chair. Tim scooped Nessica's small body into his arms and trudged up the hill toward safety. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometime later, Nessica roused from an uneasy rest to find herself face down in the dirt, a stinging sensation overtaking her back, which felt cold to the gentle evening breeze. Just past the pebbles and sticks that occupied the space immediately in front of her face, Nessica saw her cart, and Budo softly grazing on crumble bushes, clinging to the rocks by a stream side. The stream flowed from a small waterfall next to what appeared to be a cave or a rocky outcropping. A small fire crackled under a pot from which a steady flow of stream rose into the air. There was a strange scent in the air she was unfamiliar with, and her head throbbed with each beat of her heart. With more effort than she anticipated, she dragged her hands along her sides, preparing to lift herself up, but an immense pain shot through her shoulder, and despite herself, she yelped. I slow down. The herbs haven't fully dried yet, and I don't want you to open up those gashes again. You lost a lot of blood, Tim said from behind her. He scampered in then, a bundle of sticks in his arms, and dropping the sticks by the fire, knelt next to her to inspect her back. The herbs like the herbs you used on my horse? Nessica asked with a tone, but physically she relaxed into the ground. A healing herb is a healing herb, as far as I know. 
And if you think you're better than Budo over there, you haven't spent much time with horses. Or whatever he is. Budo turned his bulky head in their direction at the sound of his name, then went back to munching on the weeds. Regardless, I've stopped the bleeding for now. But you're going to need some help from someone who knows what they're doing if those are going to heal right. Stitches for sure, and I was never strong with a needle. Just animal medicine. And you're very welcome indeed, Miss Naharis. Where are my manners? She said through a smushed, dirty face. Thank you so much for your brilliant chair plan. Yeah, I was thinking about that on a ride, and... It may have been more of a metaphor for teamwork than an actual strategy for dealing with large felines. But it all worked out in the end, eh? Jessica pointed at her back, suffering through the twinge of pain to make her point. Definitely. <clears throat> worked out great. Horse Master Jace used to say any day above ground was a good day. Well, I guess in this case, any day not eaten by a demon cat from hell. That was just an undead monster. If we ran into a demon, we'd definitely be dead. An entire feasting hall of chairs wouldn't have helped us then. Tim ignored the jab. There are demons here. Oh, yeah. And they are not known for their love of humans. Maybe a couch, though. That could do it. Or does your horse master recommend an armoire? Tim lay next to her so she could see his face when he rolled his eyes. She smirked. You said you were thinking on the ride. How long was I out of it? Well, it's like close to a day. It's hard to tell here. The sky always looks pretty much the same. It wasn't always like that. The moon hasn't risen in a while. No one knows why. What a strange place. Tim said with a yawn. Help me up. <sighs> I can't lie like this with my head in the dirt or my neck will hurt worse than my back. Okay, but be careful. Favoring her right side, Tim helped her ease off the ground. I hope you don't mind, but I found some gear in your cart and made a camp. Carrie and Lion didn't stick around long after we got out of the crater. It took the chunk you cut and buggered off. By the time I brought the cart around, you were pretty well out of it. I knew a trance of some sort. I thought you were dying. Elven meditation. It can be pretty intense in times of extreme stress. I'd say nearly bleeding to death qualifies. What happened then? I used the herbs that were left in the sword to make the poultices as best I could. It's improvise a bit with some, uh, mud. It's fine, it's fine. It's, it'll be fine. Uh, again, better than bleeding out, right? Plus, the soil seems to be pretty heavy in clay, which is probably better, I'd imagine. Anyway, once you seemed okay, I realized you weren't actively dying. I took another look around the scene. I followed the tracks from the crater. Pretty sure we're dealing with one person, be they gator or otherwise, bipedal. They crawled up the side of the crater using their hands. From there, they moved north and northwest. Moving cross-country and not taking the roads. Which I found interesting after you had mentioned they were most likely a patrol. Why wouldn't members of the local garrison avoid the roads? 
I couldn't tell you. Indeed. In any case, whoever they were made it to the stream where I lost a trail. He sighed a sigh that turned into another yawn. He dipped the tin ladle into the pot over the fire and handed it to her. The stream wasn't the freshest, so I had to boil the water. It should be cool enough to drink. It's no tea time in the officer's quarters, but you need some fluid in you. <sighs> he yawned again. Thanks. You should try and get some rest. I'm up now. I can keep watch. You just like to pass out. I am. <sighs> oh no, I'll be alright. To be honest, I did try to rest my eyes on the ride. I, uh, couldn't sleep. Jessica knew what he meant. The nightmares. So there's no break from it as a bright sider. Or at least not yet. Judging from the sky, he made a pretty good guess, and she was out for most of the day. He must be exhausted. His usually square shoulders were slumped toward the tiny fire. His steely blue eyes didn't seem as focused. But behind those eyes, Tim replayed the information he had learned. There had to be a next step. Even if he didn't have any clues to follow, he could trust his gut. But his gut wasn't telling him much other than trying the gator meat may not have been the best idea in the world. Tim was stuck having to think this one through. What's next? He muttered. Huh? What's next for what? Jessica sipped her hot water and winced. Uh, I don't know. What's the next step? He reached into the pot and splashed his face with some water, then blinked hard several times to clear the tired from his eyes. What do we do next? What did the thief do next once they got here? If we knew that, then we'd know where to go. Huh. That's interesting. Tim groaned as he stood, then walked over to the edge of the stream. That's one way to go, isn't it? What would they have done? Then we'll know what to do. They knew enough to come to the stream and... Wash away a trail if someone would follow them. Which is something they were worried about. Otherwise, why wouldn't they take the roads? You know, this is actually making sense. If they stay out in the wilds alone, they'll stick out. I know we do, but no one is looking for us. That we know of. He ignored her and continued. So they'll need to go somewhere they can hide. Assuming they don't have a safe house nearby, based on how far the trail went. Hmm. A town. <sighs> the last part came out as a yawn. He sat on a rock near the stream, or rather caught himself as he nearly collapsed. He was so, so tired. But the onyx eyes and that voice. He couldn't go back there yet. Not until he really had no choice. He brought his knees to his chest and wrapped his arms around them, letting his head fall between them. It had to a town, of course. <sighs> a town where they could find an inn or a tavern to lay low, or a broker of some kind to sew the bow, or a doctor to tend their night, or, I mean, wounds. She was trying to stand, but 
could barely use her left side at all for risk of opening the cuts. Tim's long stride was over to her side before she could protest. Yes, of course, you, you need to get those stitched. No, Tim, I didn't mean... Ah! She clutched her wound. She looked at her hand and she saw a little blood. Oh, okay, careful. It's, it's just get you to the cart, all right? I'll pack up and, and we'll make for the nearest town. You said something about black bogs before, right? Maybe it's north-northwest of here? Uh, yeah, I I think so. That's right. All right, let's, let's get you to the cart. He put her arm over his shoulder and helped her cross their small camp to the back of the cart. I should probably warn you. Oh, gods! Nessica got her first look at the blood-stained cart. It looked as though it were freshly painted. This was me? Yeah, so let's be careful and not stretch those poultices more, okay? Easy there. There you go. That's good. I'm not a horse, Tim. I can sit. I, I know, I know, Habit. Sorry. He said about picking up their camp. The town seemed like as good a next move as any, but he still couldn't shake the feeling that this hunch was based on nothing that he could see in front of him. Still, doubt was rapidly being replaced by concern for Nessica. Without her, he'd be alone in this horrible place. Plus, what kind of adventurer would let his first teammate down like that? Certainly not a soldier of the Talon Empire. Certainly not any of his heroes. Regardless of his theories about the behavior of the bow thief, they needed to get to a town. And fast. Tim, the... Black bogs aren't like any town you probably have in your golden cities of crystal and sun. That's not what all cities are like. But you hear that? Listen to me. This place isn't kind to humans. Most will be indentured servants working the fields. Others are in the refineries, working under conditions your fragile bodies can barely withstand. The lucky ones are personal guards, although often enough those end up as personal gladiators settling petty disputes between their lords with their lives. But that's not the worst part. This is a blood zone. We're under the control of one of the mist governors. Humans who don't fall in line are sent to holding pens, where they become the governor's personal property. There are no human adventurers here. Tim gently put the last of their supplies in the cart. He took a deep breath and looked off toward the unknown town so hostile to his kind. He clenched his jaw and Nessica saw the focus come back into his eyes. He put two hands on the rail of the cart, drummed his fingers, and sighed. Nessica found this reaction curious. This was genuine bad news. But this human boy had not once even hinted at despair. The look on his face is... He worked through their predicament was frustration, sure, but frustration that he couldn't work through the problem faster. After a long pause, she opened her mouth to say something when... So which one am I, then? What? Which... What are you? Humans on adventures here. They're workers, guards, or prisoners. So which one am I when we get to town? I may have the meager clothes of a worker, but I think God makes more sense for a cover story since I'll be driving you in and looking for a doctor. And I'll be able to wear my sword in case anything goes wrong. Oh yeah, surely that old thing will save us. 
You did okay with the lion back there, miss. That's right, she did. That symbol sword shouldn't have... But then there's your clothes. Excuse me, sir? I, I just mean the type of person with a personal god would have some kind of wealth, yeah, to pay for the god? First of all, you overestimate the value of a human here. Second, I was dressed just fine until I lent someone my nice Halaxian-made cloak that someone got blood and drool all over. And whose blood is that, okay? Don't light a pipe when the walls are made of pitch. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, guard. It hurts. Come on, let's get going. The further it gets into twilight, the harder it'll be for even Budo to see the path through the bogs. Tim snapped to an exaggerated attention. Right away, my lady. Would her ladyship care for a blanket for the ride? And he bowed a deep, ridiculous bow. <clears throat> Tim. Yes, miss? For real, snap to it. I think I'm going to pass out soon. Oh, shit, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll go. Tim suddenly felt hot with embarrassment as he fumbled his way into the driver's box and snapped the reins. You'll know when we get closer. There's... A smell. Okay, but you still need to navigate me, okay? Stay stay up back there. I'm pretty tired, Tim. I know. Me too. He was indeed. But whenever he closed his eyes, he could see the shadow with Onyx eyes. He felt the gold burning of its claws. He knew the emptiness it meant. Keep each other awake, do you? No nightmares tonight. That's right. Not tonight. But as the darkness crept into the sky, Tim felt it heavier and heavier himself, gathering behind his drooping eyelids. And just behind that lurked the shadow, a gray shade drifting unnaturally through his subconscious mind, stalking every thought. And as the flares of the black bog refineries lit the dark sky, Tim saw them reflected in Onyx. The town, such as it was, that sprang up around the black bogs was unlike Tim had ever seen, from the smallest hamlets to the biggest cities. His home of Ravenscrest was a spoken wheel, well, two wheels on each side of the river, with cobblestone streets cutting valleys through gray stone structures. Imposing gargoyles capped the parapets of the towers, and historical scenes from the Empire's glory days played out in the borders of the grand entryways of the military buildings. Playful, colorful signs announced the pubs and civilian shops, and fiddles and drums lilted through the alleys, mixing with the clash of spears in the training yards and the ring of ship bells on the river to form a special symphony that Tim would hum along to as he brushed horses. Harrier's Marsh on the Moonshadow border was a grid built for efficiently moving masses of troops, and later merchant goods, from the peninsula into the valley and back again. And the great capital of Hawksridge sat perched atop a seaside cliff looming over the empire, with the light of the Hawksite Tower shining her beacons since the last Hawk King burned the seats of his rivals and proclaimed himself emperor. When Tim sailed down the Wintersong River to his fate aboard the Dorlea, the tower rising off the cliff filled him with an inexplicable sense of pride and awe. He was never the most patriotic, and if he was being honest, he was glad to have his days in service of the Empire behind him. Yet thinking back to the symbol of the Empire's endurance, with the rising sun reflecting off the high granite walls and the flame shining through the breaking dawn, 
It filled Tim with a surprising level of emotion. Nothing about his current surroundings was so moving. There was no rhyme or reason to the snake-like paths that crisscrossed the putrid bogs. Rotting wood slats made up the best attempts at formal roads, though huge sections were little more than ruts and oily mud. Every building looked as though it was on the verge of collapse. Mismatched slats of charcoal-colored wood held up roofs of thin steel sheeting. A constant wind howled through the gaps and carried a noxious scent that choked Tim's nostrils. Huge cylindrical drums leaked a viscous black goo from seams where dark iron banding held together old knotted wood. Pyramid-like lattices of twisted metal held up pipes spitting constant jets of flame. There was no order in this place. No music in the air. No sunlight shining off monuments. Everything about the bogs felt oppressive. A slat of the corduroy road snapped under their left wheel and the cart lurched to the side. Ah! Nessica winced from the back and Tim snapped the reins to redirect Budo the horse thing. Damn it, Tim's stable boy can't drive a simple cart. You want to come back here and drive? Tim snapped back with a sharpness that surprised him. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just very tired. The meandering paths through the bogs took hours, but Tim found no rest during the journey. Each time he closed his eyes, he saw the shadow, and he forced himself awake. Sleep had become as much a memory as the streets of Ravenscrest. How dare you, guard! You forget yourself! Nessica raised her voice so she could be heard by the laborers around them. Tim's outburst had drawn stares from the dreary, dirty denizens. As they approached the town, Tim had worried his blood-soaked cloak and acid-burned trousers would draw undue attention. But now that they were in, he saw that he had nothing to worry about. Every human worker, and every worker seemed to be human, was clad in little more than rags. Their skin pocked with scars, burns, cuts, and scabs. Tim could scarcely tell men from women or young from old as each face was smeared with oil, sweat, blood, and tears. They carried buckets of pitch, tools, and equipment, or pushed carts along metal tracks. In the pits off the roads, they toiled with drills and shovels, running pipes and tubes to giant seesawing pumps of some kind. Among the humans, monstrous folk rode on even more monstrous beasts and barked orders and chastisements. Shouts, screams, bangs, and booms echoed in Tim's ears. He felt dizzy and delirious, squeezed his eyes tight in an effort to regain some sense of clarity. It didn't work. Sorry, miss. My apologies. Sir. Sir. Tim tried to get the attention of a worker crossing in front of them. Sir, my mistress is in need of a doctor. Sir, please. I'm just... But the man ignored him and lumbered on dragging an enormous wrench toward a platform with an array of valves. At the base of the platform, a small kiosk housed a hulking creature with a long, gray snout that stretched to its belly. Two massive curved tusks stuck out from each side of the snout, and its wide, leathery ears twitched and flapped, seemingly searching out sounds among the din of the work. Its large, dark eyes were fixated on a ledger of some sort, where it was taking constant notes with a powerful but dexterous hand. Assuming this creature had an authority of some kind, Tim snapped the reins and guided Budo and the cart in its direction. When he had pulled up alongside the kiosk, Tim dismounted the driver's box and approached the creature. Excuse me, sir, if you can understand me, my mistress is in need of... 
Before he could finish, the creature cracked him across the face with a fist that felt like a cannonball. Tim tasted blood in his mouth and heard a ring in his ears. The force nearly knocked him off his feet. Control your pet, witch, said the creature to Nessica and then went back to its ledger. Nessica groaned as she sat up in the cart, trying her best not to break open her wounds. With respect, overseer, I apologize for my guard's transgression. He's... New. The creature made a trumpetous scoff with its snout. Clearly, while that may explain such insolent behavior, it does not excuse it, nor does it explain your presence here. Be truthful, witch, or your god will need to prove his worth. The snout then let out a more horn-like sound, and Tim suddenly found himself surrounded by a group of lightly armored humans, each with a spear or poleaxe. Outnumbered five to one, Tim nonetheless drew his sword and fixed his stance. But then he yawned. Oh, bored, are you, boy? Well, we'll see how boring you think this is when we slip your body into the bogs, threatened one of the guards. No one needs to be put in the bogs, Nessica pleaded. My guards' inexperience and arrogance led us to being attacked as we were traveling the Gentor Road. We were chased off course and I took a wound. Seek a doctor, and we'll be on our way. Tim's shoulders fell slightly at her tail. While not technically a lie, it also meant it was technically a truth. Did she think he was arrogant? They're both new at adventuring, so that's a little unfair of her to lay it on him. She was the one that got her horse thing caught in that trap. Don't get much more experience than that. But she also had a point. It was his fault that she got hurt. She could have been killed. It would have been on him. Tim didn't have time to unpack the implications of that thought before the creature in the box let out a honking laugh. Oh, a doctor you need? What do you think, boys? Would old Beaky tend to ladies' wounds? The guards laughed long, lowering their weapons to guffaw at the hilarity of the overseer's suggestion. We would graciously accept any aid. And then leave your operation without incident. I assure you I can pay for any services rendered. Oh, I'm sure you can, witch. I'm sure you can indeed. The overseer stared at her for a very long, tense moment. The guards and Tim looked back and forth between their masters and their foes, not sure of the next move. The overseer's floppy ears twitched and flapped. Then the long snout stretched out as if it were an arm, reaching for Nessica. Tim started to take a step, but Nessica flashed her eyes in his direction and Tim understood immediately their expression meant stop and wait. Dust shot from the two coin-sized nostrils on the square end of the tube-like snout as the appendage stretched closer to Nessica, searching for some scent, presumably. Nessica herself froze, not moving a muscle as the overseer sniffed over her wounds, then retracted his snout back inside the box. Didn't say it was a carrion lion that tore you open. Curious part of the story to leave out. Okay, boys, show her to Beaky. See if the old sawbones can stitch her up. The guards grumbled a bit, but a look from the overseer quickly quieted them. Their posture slackened and they fell into a loose group, not really a formation of any kind, just a gaggle of nearby people, Tim noticed. He finally relaxed himself and sheathed his sword, climbing back into the driver's box to follow the gaggle. 
The guards led them south, through rows and rows of drilling rigs and wooden tanks. They passed pits of tar where pumps worked furiously to clear the heavy liquid as human workers hacked away at some huge mass revealed by the pump. Hunchbacked laborers swung sickles into thick peat, cutting heavy bricks that they chucked into nearby wagons. Finally, they reached a cluster of long, barracks-looking buildings and row houses. This looked to Tim to be the workers' living district. In a place where everything looked to be on the verge of collapse, these buildings were especially ramshackle. Most seemed to be little more than walls set up over the mud. Among the squalor, there was one building that literally stood stronger than the rest. Tightly fit timber walls, a tile roof, and even a glass window with a candle that shone like Hawksite Tower. A line of dozens of people stretched from the doorway, and a sign above it displayed a symbol that Tim didn't recognize. The guards led them to the front of the line, and the line members booed and shouted, Quiet down, you lot! You know the laws! Overseer sent this distinguished guest down here to see your sawbones. You're just gonna have to wait your turn. Come on, man! I've been waiting all day! I can't feel my fingers! I need to get back to work, and I can't grab a sickle, pleaded the young man at the front of the line. He held out his hands to show the guard, and Tim saw ten twisted, contorted fingers and two nasty puncture wounds through his palms. You'll pipe down if you want to keep those fingers. You know your place. The guard knocked on the door as the young man backed off. You're not any different from us, he said quietly. What was that? Guards stepped away from the door and toward the young man. They raised their spears. You're not better than us, the man repeated, finding some courage. You think because they give you those sticks you're protected? You're one whim away from being right here in line with busted hands. He raised his voice as he spoke, and the other workers in line caught on to what was happening. They started to push forward, crowding the front of the line. The guards started to circle. Tim hopped out of the driver's box. Get back, you! Don't make us call the overseers! See? You're nothing but bootlickers! Murmurs of agreement started to gurgle among the crowd. You're just as beholden to them as we are! But worse, you think they like you. You think they need you. You're nothing. The crowd was forming a circle. Tim made sure his sword was loose in its scabbard just in case. It was getting tense. Shut up! Shut up or we raise the alarm! The lead guard and the young man with the broken hands locked eyes. Tim's own eyes darted between their faces and the guard's spear point. Get the bootlicker's tongue! Someone screamed from the safety of the back of the crowd. Bodies started to push in, more screaming, and then a spear point flashed, and Tim reacted before he could think about it. Spear's shaft stopped eight inches short of the young man's face. Its point clattered to the ground, cut clean off as the crowd let out gasps. Tim held the standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword at the top of its arc, just above the spear shaft. For a moment, no one moved. And then the door opened, and a tall, slender figure in a long, tight, black coat emerged. Enough, boomed the figure. I will not have a riot start outside my practice. You heard him disperse, peasants. The figure stepped beyond the threshold and up to his full height. Easily over twenty hands high, he had a long, almond-shaped face, with an equally long hooked nose. This must be why the overseer had called him Beaky. His sharp, slanted eyes stared down the long, beak-like nose, and all the humans beneath him shrank from his presence. 
No, he said, calmly but forcefully. You are the disturbance, guards. Armon is correct. If you do not cease your misguided chest puffing, there will be consequences. And you'll be the ones to feel them. As he spoke, a thin mouth revealed long rows of small, sharp teeth. His arms were folded across his chest, but were about eye level with the guard. He held no weapons and made no outward threats, yet still the guards lowered their weapons. The lead guard gave one more look to the young man called Armand, and then they left. There was quiet among the crowd until the man said, I'll see the elf now. But Sawbones, I... The man held up a hand with long, slender fingers. His skin was a rusty brown and wrinkled by age. Armand, this is the law. I will see the elf. The man turned to the cart, reaching his long arms in to scoop Nessica out of the back with ease. On the way back inside, he said to Tim, You wait here, and disappeared behind the door. Tim stood there among the injured and sick workers, his sword still in his hand. Dropped it to his side, trying to take in what happened. He blinked hard and then blinked again, before a tap on his shoulder startled him. Wheeling around, he raised his sword again, but sheathed it as soon as he recognized a terrified Armand with broken hands raised in surrender. Whoa, there, bud. I, I just wanted to say thanks. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. I, 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 I'm just a bit off. I, I haven't... I haven't slept. Oh, y- yeah? No... No elixir? What What kind of guard are you? I, I'm... Tim stopped. He wasn't sure what would be good information to share. He sympathized with Armand and his fellows, but he didn't know how this world worked. He didn't know who to trust, except for Nessica. He looked toward the building, worried. Oh, don't don't worry about her. Sawbones will take care of her. What's your deal, bud? Uh, I'm I'm new. Tim decided to take a page from Nessica and offer half-truths. Armand seemed skeptical but friendly, and Tim did just save his life. This could be an opportunity to get some info about the bow, if it did find its way to this place. I'm originally from far away. I just started working with Ness, my mistress. I'm pretty shit at being a god, it seems. Armand laughed. I don't know about that, man. You you certainly guarded me good. I'm just surprised you do something like that. Not be like them, I mean. I'm Armand. I'd shake your hand, but... He showed his wounds. Tim, how'd you get those? Thorns. Believe it or not, there's a forest of sorts under all this muck. That's what they're really after here. Trees. Something about them, I, I don't know. It's a huge pain in the ass to get them up. And, you know, thorns. He held up his hands again to hammer his point. What brings a drow out to the black bogs? Don't see many of their sort in these parts. We're we're looking for something. I I can't say what it is. You you know, regulations. Tim took a chance. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get it. They always like to keep us in the dark when they can. It worked. Tim moved on. Have you seen any gator men around? They may be involved. Gator men. 
Did one of the patrols do that to your drow friend? Armand raised an eyebrow. No, 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 no. We, we were attacked by a, a carrion lion. Tim tried to have confidence in knowing what a carrion lion was, but he wasn't entirely convinced that Armand believed him. The young man squinted and looked him up and down. Nasty, man. Pretty intense. You came away unhurt. But I've seen your speed with that thing. Your employer is lucky to have you. Yeah. Tim trailed off as his attention turned to the building next to them. Through the window, Tim saw a lightly furnished room with shelves full of bottles and jars. A water basin sat on a table next to a rack of saws, blades, scissors, and clamps. Tim swallowed. We think... But his mind lost the thought as his heart filled with guilt. I get it. Get what? Forget it, man. What was it you were looking for? You think it could be in the black box? That's my theory. I thought maybe if whoever took it was looking to hide it or sell it, they would come to a town. They also could have been hurt, so they would have sought a healer. But you said you hadn't seen any gator men, and you've been waiting here all day, right? What about yesterday? Armand shook his head. No patrols through here, man. But he looked at Tim and smirked. Yeah, I think I may know a place someone could offload some contraband. Isn't that right, Linfroar? He turned to the man behind him in line. An older, bent-back man with a long, matted beard. Linfor hadn't been paying attention, and Armand had to nudge him with a shoulder to get a response. When he turned to face them, he revealed a huge makeshift bandage across his right eye. Uh? This guard here is looking for some contraband. Think Elvira could help him out? The old man looked Tim up and down and grunted. Tim wasn't completely sure he understood what was happening. I'm going to take our friend here and see if we can find out what he's looking for. Least I can do for him saving my life. Save my place, will ya? The old man grunted. Tim looked back through the window and started to say something, but Armand had already hooked an arm through his and was leading him away. Don't worry about it. A procedure like that's sure to take hours. She's in good hands. Come on, let's see if we can find your lost thing. Before he knew it, Tim was out of sight of the doctor's building and the line of workers. Armand led him through the alleys of the district, ducking mounted overseers and groups of strolling guards. They crossed over a tar pit on a rope bridge and entered a group of buildings made of sheets of metal. To Tim, such structures looked dangerous, with their sharp edges and the glow of flame leaking through the seams where one wall met another. Flames and smoke billowed from chimneys lining roofs like spines on a lizard. Are you sure we shouldn't head back? Maybe Nessica's healed by now. Oh, no, man. Carrion lion cuts tricky. Trust me. There's a reason that line is so long. Good work takes time. We're almost there. He turned sharply down another alley, and the buildings started to thin out. Before long, they arrived at a small metal building with a display shelf out front. Objects foreign to Tim lined the shelf with signage in a language he didn't understand. Wait over there. Armand pointed some feet away from the doorway, then knocked with a specific cadence and a slat at eye level opened. 
Tim couldn't see into the dark beyond the slat, but some light caught what looked to be deep red eyes. Tim recalled suddenly the traitorous Lady Banbatten and felt unease wash over him. Armand spoke in hushed tones into the slat, pointed a broken hand at Tim, who sheepishly waved back. There was a whispered exchange Tim couldn't hear before Armand nodded and called Tim over the wave. The door opened and Tim cautiously stepped into the threshold. Armand stood behind him. This is Elvira, Armand said, but Tim could only see darkness within. She has a reputation around here for getting things people need. Things are usually really hard to come by. Things like magic things. Which I assume is the kind of item you're searching for, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Tim remembered holding the Stormtail bow, feeling the ancient power of the storm surging through it. A hiss came from the darkness, then a rattling sound. You keep snakes in here, Miss Elvira? Now she doesn't work for free, of course, Armand continued. Nothing ever is. You need to provide something valuable in return. If you wanted something like, say, some illegal magic gloves. Something whizzed from the dark past Tim's head and landed on Armand's feet. Tim turned as the young man picked up a pair of dark chainmail gloves lined with a red fabric. Oh, no, Tim murmured, slowly realizing what was happening. You don't need to do this, Armand. Sorry, man, he shrugged, pulling on the gloves, which shimmered with a flash of red magical energy. From behind him, Tim heard a louder hiss, and the rattle increased in volume. Nothing personal, but your witch cut the line. I need to get back to work. If Sawbones can't help me, well, there's not much Elvira likes more than blood uncut by elixir. She can still taste the fear. Tim felt something curl around his ankles. You bastard! I saved your life! Armand closed the door and, through the slat, said, And you never thought maybe I wasn't worth saving. None of us are. We're already lost. A whistle blew in the distance. Back to work, and Armand waved a gloved hand and disappeared from view. Tim's face abruptly slammed into the floor as his feet were yanked from under him. Whatever grabbed his legs lifted him in the air. The rattling was louder than ever now as Tim, hanging upside down, was twisted around. Lit by the industrial glow filtering through the open slat, Tim saw a feminine shape slither toward him. Scaled, slender hands ran a sharp claw along his cheek as a serpentine face with deep red eyes stared into him. Hello, young man. Elvira hissed. What are you afraid of? Enough, a voice called out. She could barely hear it over the throbbing pain in her back. Nessica used all her strength to appear composed for the overseer, knowing that pompous pachyderm wouldn't be inclined to help a drow. As soon as Tim steered the cart out of sight, she collapsed into the blood-soaked planks of her cargo bed and tried not to move. Every pebble under the wheels felt like a fresh stab, and it wasn't long before the dizzying strain was too much. She lost consciousness before Tim pulled up outside the doctor's building, 
And when the tall man in the dark coat interrupted the showdown between the workers and the guards, she had no idea what was happening. It could have been her uncle's voice, or at least that's what Nessica's mind believed in the moment, as blurry shapes moved in front of her tear-filled vision. She remembered him saying that, yelling it, to the entire assembly at her sentencing. The stunning proclamation reverberated through not just her cohort, but the instructors and the villagers, too. While news of Nezika's transgression had been a topic of hot gossip when it first spread, no one in her clan expected much in the way of punishment. Nessica always got away with a little bit more than she should, given the status of her uncle. Nebrian Naharis was appointed chief arbiter in his fifties which made him quite the wonder kid as far as elven peoples are concerned. By the time Nessica was born, Nebrian already amassed a reputation as a statesman, scholar, and sorcerer that surpassed any in the history of their clan. All that left little time for family, however, so he doted on his niece from day one. Some of the bolder, or drunker, villagers would say that the demon lord Enuwal fought Nebrian for three days, didn't land a blow on him, but Nessica pierced his heart as a babe. So when she stood in front of the council that day, the expectation was a slap on the wrist, perhaps a repeat of the trial, or, at worst, an entire year's study. Even that seemed extreme, though. The chief arbiter would never set his darling niece back an entire year from her peers, even if she was a thief. Enough! Nebrian bellowed. Everyone will please quiet down, or you will be asked to leave. As if it were rehearsed, the watchmen at the entrances to the theater tapped their spear points on the ground, and the gasp and exclamations turned to murmurs and whispers. Uncle! Nessica started to plead from the accused box, but Nebrian held up a hand. Don't! Don't you uncle me here, young lady. It seems even after you've heard the severity of the sentence, you still do not understand the severity of the crime. I was just trying to... You were trying to take a shortcut. Again. Like you always do. Like you always have done. And where have your shortcuts led you, Nessica? But uncle, you can't... Send me away just... Just for... Just for what? Just for stealing a little... Nebrian held up his hand again, and Nessica quieted. My niece, you disappoint me so. You're not being exiled for stealing. You violated more than just the laws of ownership when you defiled your entry into the trials with your... stunt. But who cares if I took a... I care! Nessica realized this was the first time they had spoke to each other since the trials. It was supposed to be the culmination of her magical training, a celebration of channeling desire to find the moment when want and need are one, of tapping into the spaces between things to create something new to fulfill that request. Instead, Nessica used her magic to find something that didn't belong to her, Something real that already existed and belonged to somebody else. It's easy to find something real if you know where to look. Most children start to use their abilities by nicking desserts from the tray or spoiling the surprise of a birthday present too early. 
Nessica was always drawn to the real world and how their magic could impact it. Take an object from one place, move it to another. Something interesting is guaranteed to happen. According to the Arbiters, however, true power lies in creation. Leading up to the trials, Nessica struggled with the magic. Her mind always drifted toward the world around her. Could she use her magic to, say, move a river to better irrigate crops, or bring a herd back from migration out of season? Could she pluck a demon lord out of its lair and drop it into the ocean? That was maybe too much. But a governor? Nessica wanted to show off. She wanted to prove she could do something big in this world. And even though finding something is easy if you know where to look, taking something is an entirely different challenge. Nessica thought the difficulty of navigating a gauntlet of counterspells, failsafes, and booby traps would impress the council. She wanted to seem clever, to stand out. Even in the world of shadows, her uncle's was vast. She wanted to cast her own. Now she'll get to... in exile. Nebrian took a deep breath and attempted to switch back to Chief Arbiter after letting his paternal feelings show so publicly. You made a mockery of your ability to find... Well, my dear, you will find much on the road. You will find the North quite a different place from our own. You will find that your magic will not help you. You will find this smell to be quite unpleasant, sorry. That's odd. She didn't remember him saying, Ah! Nessica shuddered as she inhaled a sharp, putrid scent like stale cat urine. Apologies for waking you when you most certainly could have used some rest. But I need to ask you a few questions. Nessica blinked furiously for a moment and rubbed the smell from her nose. She looked up in the direction of a voice that was not her uncle's to see a sharp, beak-nosed face staring down at her from several feet above. His dark coat stood out against his rough, lilac skin. In one large, long hand, stick-like fingers held a corkstopper. In the other was a small bottle of dark glass with chunks of a white stone inside. He stoppered the bottle and set it on a nearby table. Then he lit the end of a bundle of herbs on fire and, shaking it out, let the end smoke. That should help with the smell. What? What, what, what is going on? Where, where's Tim? Your human is waiting for you outside. My name is Hyvior. I'm a doctor. You're a gargoyle, but you don't have wings. And you're a drow, but you don't have a lot of your blood. Or didn't. I gave you some fluids, but you were pretty out of it. What are you doing in the black box? How about you answer that question for yourself, and I'll get to work on fixing your wounds. Then we'll see where this conversation takes us, huh? Let's start with your name, perhaps. Now that the shock from the smelling salts had worn off, she was once again feeling the pain in her back. That sounds fair. Nessica. Right. Let's carefully turn you, Nessica. There we go. Something about the way he said it reminded her of Tim. Her eyes darted around the room, looking for a window. 
The exam room, however, was windowless. All she saw was shelves, cabinets, racks, and their incredible contents. Files and jars, beakers and burners, saws and scalpels, all shining and polished to almost glowing. They reflected plenty of torchlight from a torch burning in a fixture surrounded by a brilliant mirror. Once they repositioned her, Hyvior adjusted the mirror to better focus on her wounds. I, I'm on a quest. My uncle is the chief arbiter of my clan, and he tasked me with something incredibly important. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't say too much about it. But the human is aiding me. We were investigating our query when we were attacked by a, a carrion lion. Nessica chose her words carefully. She was speaking to a shelf on the opposite side of the room. Javier was behind her, getting to work. I can see that. Hmm. Was it your human who made poultices? Uh, yeah, I'm afraid so. He's, um... He's new. Really? Well, you may have made it a lucky hire. The botanical knowledge showcased is quite special. I'm not sure I've seen anything like it. Well, if you can say one thing about Tim, he was a surprise. Indeed. Ha! Nasica flinched. What are you doing? Apologies. As fine work as this is, I need to clean and stitch these gashes. You're quite fortunate they weren't any deeper. Don't I know it. Look, I, I don't mean to be rude, but we can can we cut to the chase here? I, is it going to be a potion, or is, is this more of a laying on of hands? Nessica heard the clink of utensils being set down from behind her. A drawer opened. A bottle was uncorked. Unfortunately, Miss Nessica, I'm unable to practice magic. Here, anyway. There's something about the oil secreted by these trees. It creates some kind of... null field. You must have felt it yourself, no? She hadn't felt it. Of course, she hadn't felt a nullification of her magic because it was already so weak. I m must have been the blood loss. Interesting hypothesis. Now you'll feel a little pinch, but then your back will go numb. That's supposed to happen. What do you, what do you mean by pi Ah! Uh, are you sure you're helping me back there? I'm putting a lot of faith in a misty gargoyle with no wings. His mind focused more on the work than her in that moment. His mind focused more on the work than her in that moment. He responded, Trust me, I do not work for them. Do you really think they would hire a doctor? I can hardly believe they tolerate my presence at all. Though I suppose it does keep their labor force working. The humans may seem an inexhaustible resource, but they are not. There. Can you feel that? Feel what? Excellent. Just going to start stitching you up now. Stitching? Yes, don't worry. 
The thread will be removed. But I cannot magically seal the wounds, so I must manually seal them. You may scar, but I'm quite good. They'll be faint. As the doctor sewed, Nessica felt the slightest of pinches each time he pulled the thread. He was good, or as far as she could tell. So if you don't work for them, why are you here? When I lost my wings, I wasn't sure where to go or what to do. Seeing the world from ground level put a lot of things into perspective, and I decided I wanted to do some good. That simple, huh? Need it be more complicated? A quest for your uncle seems simple as well. And yet, rather than a cohort of your clan's folk, you travel with a human dressed in rags with a sword bearing an emblem not known in the North. My own predicament is far less curious than yours. I, I don't know if I would call it curious. Well, it, it's true. I'm not familiar with it, exactly where he came from. Tim's appearance is from a run-in with a, a gelatinous cube. It, it burned his clothes off. Y you know how it is. Nessica once again danced around the full truth. Not sure if she could completely trust the doctor. That would be in line with the burns I observed when I brought you inside. Interesting. You've traveled from the Gentor Road, then. We have. Nasika thought about everything that's happened since they left that road in search of Tim's bow and his theory that led them to this place. Maybe the patrolman who took the bow did come through here. Oh, uh, we're, we're seeking a, a particular object of great value. We believe it may have been taken by a, a gator patrolman? The, the patrol was attacked, hence the carrion lion. But Tim, my, my human, tracked one in this direction. H have you treated any, any gator men for light, lightning burns recently? Lightning? No. No patrolmen either. I must ask. Why haven't you used your magic to obtain this item? It doesn't work like that, snapped Nessica. Javier stopped working for a moment, and Nessica could feel him staring. Look, it... it that's, what, that's what it is. Need it be more complicated? She shot back at him mockingly. Understood. So you seek this item manually much as I work. I suppose we're kindred spirits, then. Just two lost souls helping the helpless. T t look, t Tim's helping me. He he's my human. Of course. Again, you were lucky to have him. These should heal nicely. I'm almost done. Y yeah they were silent for the next few moments as Javier finished the last few stitches. He set down his tools and brought a fresh cloth from a drawer. Hold this here a moment if you can reach. Yes, thank you. 
Nessica held the bandage at an awkward angle and turned around to face Javier, who had crossed the room to a workbench that would have cleared Nessica's head, but it only came to Javier's chest. If someone were to have a desirable object in this town, is there a place someone would go to redistribute it? The questions felt clumsy. She didn't really see the full picture yet, but Tim believed there could be a possibility. One of his clues. There is one, a proprietor of such things. As he spoke, he broke some of Tim's poultice in a mortar, then dumped its contents onto a small mirror. He held that mirror closer to the light and inspected the bits with a magnifying glass. Elvira. Not too far from here. A nasty creature. If you are insistent on pulling that thread, I would recommend you pursue it with your human at a distance. Elvira is a serpentar. Even with the elixir, humans are sensitive to her. And she's somehow unaffected by the oil. A dream eater? I I don't know. You asked. Javier set down the glass, removed a wrap from another drawer, and came over to Nessica. He wrapped the bandage to hold it in place. That should do it. Leave the stitches in for a week and try to keep it. Here, drink this. He handed her a cup of tea. Thank you. Doctor? Yes. Speaking of the elixir, you don't have any, do you? Elixir is highly regulated these days. No, no one outside the governor's offices knows exactly what goes in it. Why do you ask? Surely a guard legally hired would be inoculated. I, I guess it's wearing off. That's what he tells me. I, I don't know. It doesn't wear off. Sometimes I wish it did. There are side effects that make me wonder if the nightmares would be worth it. But I can't pretend to know for sure. Jessica thought about Tim shaking in the night, about his bleary eyes and long face, about the shadow he described seeing, and about how much worse they may get. Is there anything you can do? Javier stood up, took a long, deep breath, he looked at Nessica, then back to his workbench, where he set down the broken poultice. I've spent the last twenty years studying the alternative medicines, the old ways, the non-magical ways. I've learned to mix, bottle, boil, brew, saw, and sew. He looked at her then and took a step toward her, his towering frame almost leaning over her. The elixir is a treatment, but it is not a cure and it comes with its own costs. Truly defeat this strange affliction. Well, there is a way, but it is dangerous and it is not guaranteed to succeed. However, he smiled and rows of tiny, sharp teeth reflected in the lamplight. Without risk, there is no reward. 
What's his cure then? What makes it so dangerous? There is a special ingredient, a rare and elusive ingredient. If you and your human obtain this, I will be able to perform a procedure that could end his nightmare affliction. What's in it for you, Doc? For the cure? For helping me today? Why do all of this? My price has two parts. First, you must promise me that when you are able to perform your spell, you will try to procure me a new set of wings. I, I told you it doesn't... Then there will be no cure. Fine. Uh, I, I will do my best when I am able to perform my spell to replace your wings. What's the second part? You must answer my next question with complete honesty. Jessica hesitated. What could he possibly ask next? Had she given too much away? Does he know her clan somehow? He, he knows about drow magic, but that's not a secret, even if most folk don't understand it. Still, her uncle had a reputation. Perhaps his legends had reached this far. Maybe he noticed the cart and Buddha were stolen. No, that couldn't have been it. She replaced the reins and bridle, and her blood would have covered up any other identifying marks on the cart. Does he know she can barely do magic at all? What kind of trap was he setting with his first request? What does he know about her? Okay. Is your friend Tim from this world or another? D&D&D is a Moorpark Media podcast and a Spotify preferred partner. Written and edited by me, James Gressel. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Bradloff, and Mike Sigan.